Pop Culture Affidavit presents 80 Years of DC Comics, Episode 18, Superheroes. Hello and welcome to the 18th and final episode of the podcast miniseries 80 Years of DC Comics, which is presented by Pop Culture Affidavit and the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries, and well, this is it. Up until now, the purpose of this series has been to put the spotlight on eight decades of DC Comics publishing history by taking a look at genres other than superheroes or stories that don't necessarily make your usual top 10 list. And with the exception of the very first episode of the miniseries, as well as the episode I did as part of the Legends of DCU crossover, the Christmas episode, the PSA episode, I've done just that, taking a look at the romance, action-adventure, guerrillas, crime drama, funny animals, comedy, licensed properties, Star Trek, science fiction, horror, fantasy, war, and Western genres. But this time around, it's time to take a look at the one genre that DC Comics has published more than any other, and that is superheroes. Woohoo! And to close things out with me, you just heard him. I've got someone who is literally familiar with the who's who in DC superheroes. He is a prolific podcaster in his own right. Please welcome my friend and yours from the Fire and Water podcast, Shag. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk about these newfangled things called superheroes. Yeah, you wonder, do you think this will catch on? <laughs> no, are you kidding? Well, they're selling these things for 15 cents a piece, right? Nah, they'll, these, get, these guys won't go anywhere. They're wearing tights, are you kidding? I know, I know. Hey, this comic was 60 cents. I, I got it, it's true. <laughs> I got to tell you, it, it has been a fascinating listen through on this History DC Universe project you've done. I, I, I just today was listening to the war one with mm-hmm. Luke Giaconetti, and wow, just you forget about all the different genres that DC published. And, it, and it's really great that you put a shine, uh, shine a spotlight on these. It's such a focus because you do forget about that years ago. Westerns was what DC kept them running, kept the doors yeah. open, you know? And funny animals and the gorillas. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I'll be honest. I haven't listened to the gorilla episode yet, but now I think I absolutely have to very, very soon. Cause I, I'm, I'm I had a lot of fun. And, and one of the things that's been really fun with, with this show is what I've done the other genres or doing some of the research and I'm, I'm not going too deep. I have the Les Daniels book, you know, this when he, when DC turns 60 and that's been one of my main sources and I have a couple of other things here and there um, and what I can get off. Of. But just sometimes the stories behind some of these concepts were like with the gorillas. It was at one point it was like, everybody had a gorilla. It was just, so kind of patently ridiculous, but it, it worked <laughs> on so many levels. And I was, and, and I have to give professor Alan Corderbin a nod for the gorilla episode because he put the idea into my head when I just told him I was, you know, gearing the series up. He's like, I assume you're going to have an all gorilla episode. And I was like, <laughs> of course I am. Like, why didn't I think of that? Right. <laughs> I am now. I am now. I've so, got that uh, 60 Years book by DC also, but mm-hmm. after hearing you talk about the, was it the best stories of the 1950s? Is that what it was called? The greatest 1950s stories ever told. I think I'm going to have to pick up that collection because that it, sounds really good. I got it. I think I got it for less than 10 bucks off of eBay. It was it was part of that greatest 
stories series that was published in the late 1980s into the early 1990s where you had the greatest Superman stories, the greatest Batman stories, the greatest Joker stories. Mm. So it's just like trade paperbacks. It was trade coffee table books. No, they're trade paperback collections. And and then there were, I think there were hardcover editions and trade paperbacks. And, um, it literally is a collection of, of just stories that, and, and there with, with those volumes, there's usually a text piece in them too. Mm-hmm. So there's some really interesting text pieces, and there was these, that, and there was also the great, greatest team up stories, golden age stories, and flash stories. And I think by the time they hit the Batman stories volume two, the series kind of petered out because trades were not as huge in the early '90s as they would become. And then later on, they did a, a separate version of the greatest stories ever told for a number of superheroes as well. But right. But yeah, the greatest 1950 stories ever told. And like I said, I managed to get it on eBay for less than ten dollars because I'm and and I know I did because I'm I'm cheap that way. <laughs> I, I'm also about cheap, my friend. <laughs> if it was over, if it was over ten bucks, it's because I had to pay for shipping. But <laughs> but you know, I, and I, I've taken full advantage of my five dollar trade bin at my LCS, which has been very very helpful. A lot more Marvel out of that than DC, but. Um, and and the series. I mean, the other thing I've enjoyed about this series is getting people like you and Luke um, on because, um, like, Luke was the first person I thought of when I thought war comics. Sure, yeah, absolutely. And and I had Brett on a couple of times for a couple of the kitty stuff, and then and but then there then there were the times where I could get somebody to cover something that was completely out of their wheelhouse, like sitting down with Mike Bailey and talking about a Jerry Lewis comic. <laughs> and, and he, we had a blast doing that. And then um, poor Stella. I mean, <laughs> no, 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 no. There will be nothing nice said about that. Yesterday. She is trouble. She has caused you and I both nothing but heartache. <laughs> She, she may have killed my career last Friday. So. <laughs> Being in the classroom, I yeah. read about that. <laughs> but no, oh, I, I will say, I, the one I will give her some praise in that. Have you listened to the romance episode? I it's I haven't yet. I'm, it I'm starts. It, she gave me the perfect little clip at the very beginning of the episode because when she came on she said tom what did you make me read and it was like oh that's perfect so if anything else that's what she contributed but yeah i had her read this and i i heard she and i did the romance book episode and then she's a girl they're girly comics right yeah she should be reading anyway yeah (laughs) and she's a total shipper with all that crap like i'm like you're perfect for this and then then i had her read we did a Batman issue. We did the Batman story for um, the Christmas episode, mm-hmm. and then we did uh, what was it called? The, a Dale Evans comic for the licensed properties. Mm. We did one story out of like Dale Evans number one or something, and so so it was. It, it has been kind of fun getting people to read stuff that they normally wouldn't and. If anything, and I know that this is me tooting my own horn here, but I think that by the end of this, this is just a really good case for DC to get off their rear ends and come up with something equivalent to the Marvel Unlimited. Because, I mean, you're not going to be able to get every single comic you published in an 80-year, 81-year history. But I could imagine that tracking down 
old copies of even some of the, the, these old showcase issues or some Western stuff and some sci-fi stuff from the 40s and 50s and 60s, if they've got the archive, get it. You have an internship program. You know, <laughs> use that to your advantage. Get it up there. I can't imagine royalties are that much of a hassle to a number of these older comics because some of them might be very close to slipping into the public domain anyway. Well, what and, royalties would there be? I mean, the contracts of, were work for hire back yeah, then. Yeah, well, contracts were work for hire, and if there's anything to pay anybody, those people are more than likely dead. No, which sounds horrible to say, but, like, you know, yeah, there's there's business, no... Business is business. Yeah, well, there's no, you know, and, and even so, like, you know, they were paying... Bob Kane cut a very good deal for years with them and they did. and they still but they still but as shrewd as he was they still have on comiXology look at how many bob kane in quotes credited comics are there like there's so much golden age batman available mm. on on the comiXology app detective not as much um but basically and i think a lot of the batman stuff's reprinted from like the batman chronicles Oh, I was going to say, I mean, most of that stuff's been reprinted recently, so mm-hmm. they've, they've got it on the computers anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's part of it. you know. They, but they, they have no problem reprinting a lot of their Golden Age superhero stuff. So so throw out some of this stuff, even if you're throwing on a comicsology for a little bit here and there, at like 99 cents a pop. If it's not, if, if the overhead is not too expensive, you know, what's stopping you from, from doing this and really taking a dive into something like an unlimited app? And Well, I'm... I'm a huge proponent of the Marvel Unlimited app, and mm-hmm. I'm a DC guy. I mean, yeah. for the most part, I'm a DC guy. I read, I read a little bit of Marvel here or there or whatever, but um, DC is, more, is my wheelhouse. And I got convinced to sign up for Marvel Unlimited, and actually at the time of this recording, I'm not sure when it's being released, but at the time of this recording, I'm actually approach, very uh, closely approaching in the next two days my one-year anniversary on Marvel Unlimited. Huh. And I've been as re- because I'm type A plus personality, I've tracked how many comics I've read. Um, it's because Bailey and I were supposed to do a podcast about Marvel Unlimited a long time ago. You know, you know how it is. Bailey he says he's going to do something. He never does. Anyway, so I have read over 200 comic books on the Marvel Unlimited app in the last year. I don't think I read 200 comic books the year before that at all. And a lot of it's just been because it was there in front of me. Yeah. It, it was convenient. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to read Spider-Verse. I'm not going to pay for that. But, oh, look, it's right here. Why not? I'll give it a shot. It was a fun hoot. It was crazy. It was like a big summer blockbuster, but it was crazy fun. And it's just stuff like – and you know, or I'll go back and read stuff from the 80s or the 60s, whatever, on the app. I, the real question comes down to the financial model is, is DC making more money selling individual issues on Comixology than they would selling a $60, $70, $80 package a year on a customer? What's the lifetime value of that book and that customer is where the math – has got to be calculated to figure out, and maybe DC's making out better than Marvel. I don't know. It, it's a question that I think I would love to be in a room with. Maybe Dan Dio. I don't know. Is Bob Wayne still heading up a lot of their stuff, or is he gone now? I don't remember. I, I don't know because it wouldn't be Jeff Johns. No, it'd be or, it'd be the numbers guys. Jim Lee, yeah. it'd be the numbers guys, and maybe did. If you asked Dio, he could point you in the right direction because he's a little more higher up where he has a little more of a hand in it. But it is it would be an interesting question to ask somebody at DC just straight out, like, you know, 
what is stopping you from, you know, is it a numbers thing? Well, you're not going to get a straight answer. You'd have to oh, be a client wall uh, during yeah. a board meeting or yeah. something. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, lo- I would love to be that because oh, yeah. it's just like there's so much you could do. And and it hasn't because like um, it, it, you listened to War episode and Luke mentioned the public domain comic site. And it's like he got it right I now. can't remember the name of it either. It's, oh it's, I know the one you're talking about. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's not it's, Comic Book Archive, but it's it's something. It's yes. Well, just look it up, folks. Look up public domain, you know. Yeah. Golden Age comics, and there's a zillion of them out there. It's fantastic because it's in my it's it's in my Google it's in my bookmarks, and I and there I you, go. you know got a free membership because I wanted to be able to download it, and I've downloaded some crazy comics from there, <laughs> um, cold like crazy Cold War propaganda stuff because that hits a sweet spot for me because I just love that stuff, and and I did read the Atomic War ones he was talking about, and then. Um, there's one called Is This Tomorrow, which is this sort of like what if the commies come and take over type of red scare. Co- oh, it's it's so great. Um, but that's where I got a copy of – there are very, very, very early issues of New Fun comics. Mm, yeah. And just one or two of them as well as I want to say some very early issues of Adventure Comics – not and it's the ver- the very very few things that you can find from DC on there because it's the very little bit of which has slipped into the public domain over the years because it didn't feature. This is a time where they weren't featuring um, their main characters because they hadn't come around yet. So, right, it's you know, it, it's the sort of Buck Rogers type of characters that they were doing and uh, before even. I mean, it predates even like Slam Bradley and and, and the Spectre and, and some of the earlier creations by some of the that that kind of had a little bit more staying power. Hmm. Um, and it's just interesting to see, like in New Fun, how it was set up compared to today and and stuff and some of the stuff and, and some of the scans aren't very good. Well, yeah. you get what you can get. Now, a yeah. lot of people tell me you you got to go out there and check out the Jack Cole Plastic Man stuff in Police Comics, hmm. and they also say the the early Blue Beetle stuff that's out there is really good, and the early Captain Marvel stuff out there that's supposed to be all those on on that Internet Archive is are supposed to be fantastic comics to read. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, some Golden Age comics are tough for me to read. They are. Yeah. I have a hard time. I I love the Golden Age characters. I love the sensibilities. You know, I'll read All Star Squadron until the cover falls off. But put me in a actual All Star comics from 1942, and I'm gonna have a little bit of a hard time. As yeah. much as I love the characters. No, yeah. no offense to uh, you know Van Z or Al Gerding who does the great All Star comics review podcast. Sorry, mm-hmm. buddy. No, no, no. I, I, I think you've got a, a really good point. And it actually segues into the comic we're actually talking about because it's a comic book title that did eventually feature superheroes on the regular but started out a little bit differently and um, and was had a slight revival in the 1990s. But we're talking about an issue of the DC Anthology series Showcase. And we're going to look at Showcase um, because, you know, um, it's hard to do anything comprehensive regarding superhero comics. There's just way too many out there. I mean, there are entire there. You have an entire podcasting network. (laughs) <laughs> devoted to superhero comics. But we're going to be taking a look at a single 
comic book. And that's going to be Showcase number 100. And uh, we will start our look at Showcase as a title, as well as the Showcase number 100 issue, right after this. Kalabak to Zod. It is I, Darkseid. I command you to listen to the Who's Who podcast. Uncover the powers and weaknesses of the Super Friends so that I may destroy them. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Etrick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe. Available monthly at fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. And we are back. All right, so you and I were talking about um, about this a little bit before we went on the air here, and, and I just wanted to point out showcases – Easily one of DC's more famous anthology titles of the 50s and 60s. Um, and uh, The Brave and the Bull was probably another one before it became a team-up book. Uh, because The Brave and the Bull, I think, started out with, like, knights and those sorts of characters. The, the Silent Knight um, yeah. was in some of the early ones, if I remember right. I might yeah. I might be getting some of that wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was Silent Knight was in the early some early issues, things like that. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a high it, just like most of the DC comics, it, you know, the anthology it was a high adventure book. Yeah, yeah. And and Showcase premiered in 1956 and its first issue was Firefighters. Woohoo. And but the thing is that Showcase very very quickly became one of the most important comic books to come out of the early 1950s and early 1960s because it is almost single-handedly responsible for jump-starting the Silver Age of superheroes and the Silver Age of comic books because in number four, you have the debut of Barry Allen, The Flash. And then you have number 22, which is the first appearance of Green Lantern, Hal Jordan and number 34, which is the first appearance of, of the Ray Palmer at Adam. And then, um, a little bit ways down the line, number 74, which is the first appearance of Hawk and Dove. <laughs> I have to say, I love that your Titans influence is showing through there. Cause you know, Hal Jordan, Barry Allen, Ray Palmer, Hey, call. <laughs> really? Really? Is he on par? Come on. Monarch. Um, Monarch. Really? Is Monarch the same as no. Friggin' Green Lantern. <laughs> the series, yeah, yeah, my Titans bias is showing. The series was canceled in 1970 with issue 93, an issue that put the spotlight on Manhunter 2070, and then was revived with issue 94 in 1977 with the Doom Patrol story. The Doom Patrol would be a feature of the first for a few issues. Power Girl would take over for a few. Woo-hoo. Uh, there was a three issue Hawkman feature, and then the issue series was canceled in June of 78 with issue number 104, which featured the OSS fighting Nazis. Because who else is the OSS going to fight? The cancellation was noteworthy, by the way, because it was part of the DC implosion, in which 20 titles were canceled abruptly, including a title that is near and dear to your heart, I believe, which was the original iteration of Firestorm, if I'm not mistaken. You're absolutely correct, sir. 
Should we mention that Aquaman was canceled too, just to rub it in Rob's face? Nah. Why, why, why waste the oxygen in the room? It's true. <laughs> but now, I, I wanted to jump in real quick. Go ahead. Go a ahead. little bit more about Showcase in and of itself. Now, yes. I didn't know this. I, you know, some of this I had to do research on. Uh, so some of the, if, if Wikipedia is wrong, forgive me. But interestingly enough, when Showcase, you mentioned, was canceled and then brought back, right, with issue 94? Uh, yeah. It's interesting that they brought that back right after the cancellation of first issue special. Hmm. Uh, my my podcasting life mate Rob Kelly first issue special has become his favorite thing ever. He's been he's been burning through all the first issue special comics and think they're an absolute hoot. And they really are the same format as Showcase. I mean it's it's usually a one off story, a debut thing, trying to get a character to push them into you know getting their own series or a backup feature or something. Yeah. And so with first issue special getting canceled, they brought right back Showcase. So it's almost like you know uh, really if you just kept the same title on the cover. You would have never really noticed. It's all the same thing. Then in 1984 and 1985, they actually tried to bring Showcase back. And I got tricked by this a bunch in the old 50 cent and quarter bins where you come across the new talent showcase. Which, I remember that. Sorry, I'm going to be brutal, is a seriously inferior product. Um, but it was, a, it was a nice idea from DC, though, to try and bring in new artists and new writers and give them sort of a tryout book. And uh-huh. they would get a chance to do that. Not really much came out of that, though. Um, that was, I mean, not creatively it did as far as artists and writers, but not as far as any characters that really had any staying power. And mm-hmm. that only lasted 15 issues. And then as you you sort of alluded to it had a little bit of a renaissance in the 90s. Showcase then came back because we had you know Showcase 93, which was a year-long series, and 94, mm-hmm. 95, 96, which was an interesting attempt at an anthology. They didn't really, I don't think they really premiered any characters in it like the, the original Showcase did. No, it was their way, like, Showcase the showcases in the nineties, and I think it lasted until ninety six was the yeah, last year. Ninety three through ninety six, yeah. And they alternated from year to year, or um, where there would be a feature character, mm-hmm. um, and one of the characters from either the Batman or the Superman titles was was a headliner or had a feature in there, so that you had that was kind of your hook. Yeah. So, and they were solid characters. This isn't like just to bring up a, but an anthology series that, that had so much potential, but went so wrong so quickly. Teen Titans spotlight from the mid eighties, mm-hmm. which was basically like, Oh, I can, which was basically trying to be like solo Avengers where yeah, it's like, exactly. Oh, I can get, Oh, I can get a Nightwing story. I can get a, a, a cyborg and Beast Boy story, sorry, Changeling story. I can get you know a three issue long Jericho story. Oh my! Seriously? Yeah. Well, and and then and then okay, here's Thunder and Lightning. It's a clever idea. And then Magenta or whatever the hell she called herself, <laughs> Francis Kane. The story of which was actually halfway decent because it was this whole mind control story. But it's just like you're gonna put this character like stories featuring nobody you demanded. And 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 what happened with Showcase was I think they learned their lesson from that. They learned the lesson from like Action Comics Weekly. And at least the anchor character was somebody who was notable enough. It was Catwoman. Right. It was the Penguin. It was Two Face. It was Supergirl or Superboy or or somebody or the Guardian or Gangbuster. Somebody who had at least enough cachet that you could um, that you would want to buy the book, and you were wondering if it had anything to do with it. And then there were um, backup features. Uh, of or two or three other features featuring random characters where mm-hmm. 
yeah, nobody was really that. Um, I think there's a two-parter that's a prelude to Zero Hour. That yeah, was, there's some Zero Hour stuff in there. That, um, that was important enough to be reprinted. Well, um, there was a Shade um, from mm-hmm. Starman had something in there. Yeah, there's a two-parter for Cyborg right in the middle of his vegetable robot phase in the mid-90s where... Yep. He came back, and then it was all lost, and it's notable because the art's by Phil Jimenez, so it's oh, yeah. early, that. very early Phil Jimenez, but it was really, really good. If I remember, I think Robin and Catwoman, I think both of their segments were just like moments prior to their monthly book launching, so mm-hmm. it wasn't so much like a tryout book. It was more like a tease to get people to read that and then get ready for the new ongoing series. There was, the, um, the ongoing series was going to happen. Yeah, they did the same thing with Supergirl right before the Peter David series. Oh, did they? There okay. was a there was a, a very, very short Supergirl story. I don't know if David wrote it, but Terry Dodson did the art. Ooh. Ooh yeah. it's, it's a really good um, – the artwork was gorgeous, and um, but I don't remember – it was her in a hospital, and it was there wasn't much action. It was a conversation, and it they hinted that it led into the Linda Danvers Supergirl thing. Um, okay, and and there were a couple of I have a few issues here and there because it, there's like things that lead into different issues of the Titans or yeah. whatever. I've, I've got every issue, man. Yeah, <laughs> I and, bought it as it came out. Yeah. So and then um, six issues of Blue Devil. Yeah. He got all he got all kinds of stuff in there. Yeah, which. And they were doing things like that too with show issues like um, comic books like this where they had some of those quarterly books too. I think those mm-hmm. those should go noted because you had um, G- Green Lantern Corps quarterly. The Tales of the Green Lantern Corps had their own annual for a while even though there was no actual series going on. And then you've got the JLI podcast and you're going to be doing somewhere along the line the Justice League quarterly book. Which was, it's something. It's going to take like four years to get there, but yeah, yeah, we'll be doing it. And which I have one issue of, because in issue seventeen, which I think was the last issue of Justice League Quarterly, jeez, oh, okay. There's a Global Guardian story that's <laughs> redonkulous because it's so the artwork's so nineties. The quarterlies tended to be that way. There's um and but there's a Maxima story, right? Okay. Yeah, and it's Maxima having. I'm contemplating this and this and her place in the world, you know, blah, blah, blah. She has a conversation. Phil Jimenez did the art. She has a conversation at one point at a, uh, like a homeless or runaway center shelter. something cause she met this girl with a girl named Lizzie Angelo, who is the girl in the two part new teen Titan stories called runaways Oh, wow. That had gotten pregnant and her dad kicked her out of the house. And whoever wrote the story just dropped her in, aged her a little. The kid's been born. She's a single mom. She's working. She cleaned herself up and she's working here. And she just kind of uses that as a thing, as some way to teach Maxima the lesson. And it's this total, like, you don't need this at all to get, like, a full Titans continuity thing. But it's one of those, like... Talk about pulling an obscure character out of absolutely nowhere. Right. I mean, that's why I have that's the issue. Wild. Yeah, and I and I don't remember how the hell I found that out. It was probably on a message board where it was like, you know, one of the DCs. BBS. DC, yeah, or BBS. Or like, it was probably like the DC message boards in the early 2000s where, you mm-hmm. know, 
I was on the Titans boards here and there, and um, somebody had mentioned it just came up in a thread, and I had made a note of it or jotted it down, and I happened to be at a comic store and saw it and bought it. So, but but there were like hidden gems like this, yep. um, throughout, and and then there of course are the the real you know diamonds that are. You know, like the first appearance of Hawk and Dub. Um, well, that's the original showcase series. Now, I, yeah, I, one more thing that where the showcase name carries on, and it looks like DC has stopped publications on these, but mm-hmm. they would do these giant phone books. Oh, yeah. The showcase presents, and I was actually I decided ahead of time, I cataloged how many I have, because um, they're each like 500 pages, mm-hmm. black and white, and they're gorgeous. You can get them all really cheap, though. Yeah. Um, and a lot of them actually came from actually the showcase series. So, challenges the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, sea devils. Uh, I have sea devils. Yep. Mm-hmm. I have the war that time forgot. Woohoo! Awesome. Oh my gosh, that thing's so good. Uh, Enemy Ace, which is also amazing. Mm-hmm. Spectre. I, I have several of the JLA ones that, to help fill out some of the back issues I was missing. Aquaman, Batman and the Outsiders, which was probably you know that was that was a lot further down the line as far as timeline goes. Yeah. But. Makes a great showcase edition. Uh, Brave and the Bull with the Batman team-ups, the DC Comics Presents. So I've got a ton of these showcase presents laying around that I don't know if I'm even going to get a chance to read them all before I die. I mean, there's so many pages in these yeah. things. And I, I have to get more of them. So when I have to start just kind of picking them up as I see them because I was very, very stingy as which ones I wanted to get when I was seeing them on a regular basis in a $5 been and now i don't see them as much anymore exactly they don't print them anymore yeah and not on the level that i still see marvel essentials hanging around because um i was just telling andy this morning i have about six of the marvel x-men essentials that cover most of the claremont era Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna try to finish that out so i can read the entire just the x-men not x-factor or the new mutants or anything just the x-men all the way through because right now i have the one that covers the Dark Phoenix Saga and Days of Future Past, I'm missing one. And then from about a couple of years after that, all the way up to the end of Inferno. Yeah. Because I got them for five bucks a pop. And but with the, you know, with the, what the cool thing about the showcases was that they were printing things that, you know, what much like we're looking here that that hadn't seen the light of day in decades. There's a there's a there's a romance comics one. Like mm-hmm. Young Romance or whatever, Young Hearts or whatever it was. I, I don't have that. I do have the one from for Ghosts. Oh, cool. Which was, it's it, it it's a halfway decent horror, horror comic. And, you know, okay. a lot of the stories are, like, you can only read so many of those in a row. Because sure. they're all the same damn story. So is War of the Time Forgot, Yeah. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I have, but, you know, they collected the Trial of the Flash mm-hmm. in that entire showcase, which was which was a... A little too long, but it was it was good. I have the I have Amethyst Princess of Gem World. Hmm. Um, the only disappointment of which is that they only go up to a certain point in the ongoing. So then I have to go track down the remaining issues to finish the series. No, no, and it's no, like you you don't you don't have to track those down. No shag. I do because I'm a completist in this regard, especially when it co- means like tracking down five comics. <laughs> Break the addiction. And find your joy. I find comics there. that make you happy, not yeah. comics that complete your collection. And then I have, I have the Batgirl, of Batgirl. I have the Robin, the Boy Wonder one. I was almost, I was just a little disappointed. They never, they, they. I think they had enough in the archives to do another Robin, the Boy Wonder. And Did they, they ever never, do like? A, I thought they. 
Maybe I, I made this. Maybe I made this up in my head, but I thought they did like a Robin the Teen Wonder one. Did I? Did that not really happen? What they collected? I don't know if they called it the Boy Wonder, the Teen Wonder. They collected all of Robin's stuff, starting with some World's Finest and going all the way up to right around the time Batman Family. Was so those are, is that his college years? Then? Most of the college years, yeah. Okay, it's like yeah. It's so like, that'd be Teen Wonder. Age, yeah, okay, I think cool. they have. I think it's. I can't remember if it's labeled Boy Wonder or Teen Wonder on the spine, but I think they have enough. If you consider Batman Family and some of the other solo stuff that they could have done the second one, but they didn't. Um, and I have both Teen Titans ones. Mm-hmm. That's the one that kind of smarts because that's where I do want to read the rest of that series. That's understandable. Because I'm such a Titans fan, and those are not easy to get cheap. Is that the Bob Rosakis issues that aren't reprinted probably? Or? Uh, to the Yeah, to the um, the very, very tail end of the original run of the series before it was canceled, so the original Haney era, oh, okay. and then the Bob Rosakis, all the Bob Rosakis stuff from the, from the Bronze Age. There's like this gap of like, it's 20 issues. Or so. Like they just kind of stopped printing them at one point, and never there's, picked you know the there's rest. a reason <laughs> well they're not they're not particularly great <laughs> That's and i reason. realized that <laughs> i have but, a lot of them i know <laughs> but i, I want uh, but i want to start tracking them down where i can and but that's a but i have other things that i'm more interested in at this point anyway so it's it's a little have, low on my priority list i do have a I'll, I'll have a confessional to make which has nothing to do with this show but it yeah. just sort of fits with what you said a minute ago we talked about buying the uh the marvel essentials i own I probably own more Marvel Essentials than I own DC Showcases just because mm-hmm. you can get those so dirt cheap and, you know. I think those um, were printed more. Could be. I mean, Marvel has a very successful trade paperback program. Yeah. Unbelievably successful. Anyway, I just last week bought dirt cheap, like eight bucks a, a, a volume, three volumes or two volumes. I, I'm so embarrassed. I own the friggin' comics, but I don't feel like digging them out. <laughs> Um, you mentioned X Men. I have I have every X Men comic from uh, the first of the all new, all different X Men, at least in reprint form or original. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that classic X Men series, all the way up to like issue three hundred or something, just something crazy in the into the nineties. Mm-hmm. But I I stumbled across the the early X Factor issues. You know, the ones that are done by Louise Simonson and Walt Simonson. Yeah, yeah. And those aren't on Marvel Unlimited. And I'm like, I want to read those again. Those were you know those were so good. And I'm like. Do I want to dig through forty boxes that are stacked up in a closet, and I got to go like six boxes down and then over to get, or should I just pick this up for eight bucks and not have color? I think I'll pick this up for eight bucks. <laughs> and so I just, I'm horribly lazy, horribly lazy. I've done it too. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, we talked about showcase, and we talked about yeah. all the incarnations, right? Yes, we talked about the later incarnations, which. While there's a lot of merit to them, they weren't as necessarily as what I would say uh, willing to take risks with creativity. I mean, DC in the 90s, the only way people would create new characters was if it was during some crazy crossover like Planet DC or Bloodlines or something. Whereas the original Showcase series, I mean, you mentioned Guy Gardner. Whoops, I said Guy Gardner. You mentioned Hal Hal Jordan. Jordan. You mentioned Ray Palmer. You mentioned uh, Barry Allen. And for some bizarre reason, you mentioned Hawk Hawk and Dove. So I just wanted to run through real quick a list that came from the back of this Showcase 100 of mm-hmm. all the characters that actually debuted in the Showcase series. So I'll just blaze them real quick. Okay. Um, and it's sort of shocking because most of these characters you either know. Um, I I may be a little biased just because of my, my studying, uh, extreme studying of the who's who. I, I know who all these characters are. 
pretty intimately. But it's just fascinating to hear how many did come out of the showcase book. You know, I'm not going to mention the ones you already said, but Rip Hunter, Time Master. Mm-hmm. No, he's on TV now, for goodness sakes. Yes. The Metal Men. The Teen Titans. I can't believe you didn't say anything about this. The Teen well, Titans had their first appearance in a showcase book. No, the, the Teen Titans had their first appearance in Brave and the Bold. So what they are doing here is what they just just to just to pull back the curtain a little bit. We're reading out of the letter column here, yep. and various characters make appearances throughout this book, and they are all characters that have had been that have been showcased in showcase. But the Teen Titans actually were originally did appear in. Um, the Brave and the Bold number fifty-four. Right. The minute you said it, I remembered you're right. I'm because the, the way they worded here is it launched yeah. in the before they launched in their magazine. Their own magazine, and and that was one of the things that that you mentioned that sometimes, especially with this, and then the later incarnation of Showcase, where they would this would be almost the last stop on the way to that ongoing mm-hmm. series. Yep. So, well, that, that's what they did with Aquaman. But I mean, that wasn't his, mm-hmm. his first appearance wasn't here. But this was his trial book to see if he could carry his own title. Yes. Um, all right. So other characters that premiered actually premiered. Yes, hopefully, yes, I'll yes. get all these right. Uh, that actually premiered in Showcase. Adam Strange. Mm-hmm. We all love Adam Strange. Anthro. You know, the the first boy on Earth. Yes. Fireman Farrell. Who doesn't love Fireman Farrell? He's great. <laughs> that's from that issue the, number one. Issue number one. Yep. The Nightmaster from uh, Shadow Pack. Hmm. Uh, there was a guy named Jason from Jason's Quest. I assume that's Jason the Argonauts kind of connection. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think he ever showed up again. But um, a little guy called the Creeper, who has managed to hang on for an incredibly long time. Um, Challengers of the, the unknown. unknown. Yeah. Yep. Space Ranger and and Krill, which are two of my personal sort of weirdo favorites. We'll talk about a lot about them later. Windy and Willie, which is fascinating to me. I mean, they're, no one's ever heard of these guys, but they were recycled Dobie Gillis and Maynard G. Krebs characters that they rebranded, which is fascinating because I don't know if you know the history of it, but Scooby-Doo is also rebranded Dobie Gillis. Yes, uh, I've heard so, that. And maybe it yeah. might have been you where I heard that from. Yeah, so it's, it's just fascinating how many times people try to get Scooby-Doo on the market and then rebranded it. Um, Batlash, who is just one of the greatest Western characters ever. He's so funny. Mm-hmm. Angel and the Ape. Firehair, the Inferior Five, uh, Binky, which was an attempt at a teen humor uh, from DC, the Sea Devils, Dolphin, and I, that was me attempting to whistle uh, Cat Call. It didn't quite work out, but uh, Manhunter 2070, which no one remembers, Johnny Double, and uh, that's it. So all of those characters premiered in Showcase. That's amazing. A bunch of those, some of them are duds, but so many of those are big headliners that we know nowadays. Uh, and in some cases, um, like the last two that are on this list are the Phantom Stranger and the Spectre. Mm-hmm. And um, the Phantom Stranger, it says, began his career in 1951, then vanished for over 15 years until he mysteriously reappeared in Showcase number 80. So it was a w- also a way, okay, we're going to reintroduce some of these characters. And uh, the Spectre, it says, was a Golden Age great and reincarnated himself in Showcase number 60. Now, I don't know what the time between them was, but... And I can't remember if that was before or after. That must be before Spectre had his own ongoing in the 60s, which... Um, Probably. Yeah. But, okay, two more that aren't even on this list Okay, that premiered in Showcase. One was James Bond. They they had done a comic book adaptation of Doctor No for a British magazine. Showcase reprinted it. Friggin' wow. James Bond. Yeah, the first American James Bond comic book huh. was in Showcase. And then another one. I don't know if this is his first comic book appearance, but it's the only one I'm aware of. Woody Allen. 
believe it or not. It was uh, it was the Maniacs, and uh, which was like a teen kind of thing. <laughs> Maniacs with Woody Allen. <laughs> well, I can imagine the reason they're not in this issue is licensing. I imagine <laughs> so. Right? Exactly. That's I think hilarious. Mention them in the back or something, though. The yeah, I, I did not. I did not know that at all. Um, so the cover says 60 it says 60 sensational superstars in the story it took 100 issues to tell and it showcasing the the word number the the number 100 is in the center of the of the cover it's in stone and you have it's a it's a cover by joe staten and dick giordano and it shows basically most of or many of the characters we're going to see in this uh in this issue we have green lantern really center with the flash adam strange the metal men i see enemy ace um space ranger lois lane is there the titans are behind her the sea devils and the challengers of the unknown are are taking uh positions somewhere within the 100 hawk and dove are there there's Angel and the Ape, Batlash, the Adam, Aquaman, the Creeper. They're, they're all here. Anthro's all the way in the back. Uh, so what do you think of this cover here? Is it, uh, and, uh, and is it, it's interesting to me. It inter- was interesting to me until I read the letter column at the end. That there wasn't Superman, Batman, or Wonder Woman. But then when I realized that why all these characters are there, it makes total sense. Right. What'd you think of the cover? Oh, it's a hoot. Now I knew going in. Um, so now the first time I ever read this comic was actually for this podcast. So yeah, same here. Tom, Tom's my first, you know, go be gentle with me, Tom. But the, it was interesting to me. I, I somehow in, in my DNA, I don't know where I got, I already knew before I picked up this comic that this comic was a celebration of all the characters that were featured in showcase. Hmm. I don't I, I just, I don't know. Maybe I learned it on a who's who feedback or something. I was going to say, yeah. Well, the the feedback section of, of our who's who podcast is like an education lesson all in itself. There are some amazing people out there that know a tremendous amount of DC Comics history and love to share it. And God bless them for it because I've learned so much just from them. It's it's wonderful. So anyway, um, going yeah. So I knew this already going in, and I think it's a great cover. Now I'm. I have a history of being a bit of a critic of Joe Staten's artwork, primarily mm-hmm. because my exposure to him is during his Green Lantern Corps era towards the end in the 80s. Um, Same around... with me. Yeah. Millennium. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was... it was the Guy Gardner comic later after yeah, that. Yeah. And the thing that turned me around on him and onto his 70s work was a reprint in the greatest Batman stories ever told of the story, the autobiography of Bruce Wayne, hmm, okay. which is the earth Two story of him and Catwoman, And it's gorgeous. And, uh, and then I realized, Oh, this guy's a lot you know, earlier on was a lot different. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like Carmen Infantino, you know, it's, yes. you, you see the stuff in the eighties uh, and you're like, Ooh, and then you go back and read their previous stuff. Like everything I've read from Joe Staten in the seventies is just freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is going to come up again later. Believe me, it's going to come up again later. The man in the 70s <coughs> did not know how to draw an unattractive woman. Um, they're just, wow, all smoking hot. And he just really pulls it off. And so it's an exciting cover. I love that everyone's running in towards you. It's it's sort of like what I wish a lot of Who's Who covers were. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, you know, features all the characters. They're all doing something fun. You know, a lot of the characters get a chance to show you some of their, their you know, what their abilities are. I think it's fun. I like it. The 100. I like. I like having the 100 as a cover feature. I think that's nice. That was that was really really fun. All right. So 
The release date on this issue is February 16th, 1978, with a May 1978 cover date, um, which this information I got, by the way, from Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics. Thank you, Mike uh, Wells. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, I was eight months old when this hit the stands. Wait, hold on. By my calculation... Uh, wait, eight months old. You were, okay, you were born after Star Wars came out then. I was born almost, uh, almost one month to the day. After? After Star Wars. I was born on June 23rd, 1977. So you weren't alive when Star Wars came out. I was not alive by, by, by a month. I hey was folks, alive. thanks so much for having me. It's been great. <laughs> Y'all enjoy the rest of the podcast. I can't continue on. So, thank if, you. If, Good night. If you'd like to know more, just go back and listen to, I believe it's episode five or six of my Star Wars story hosted by Scott Rifen. You can hear all about my history with Star Wars. You're such a shill. You're such a company <laughs> shill. <laughs> I, I, you see blatant, what I did there? <laughs> your blatant self-promotion just horrifies me. I can't imagine anyone who would, would do that. In fact, it makes me want to laugh heartily. <laughs> it's terrible. Use your left hand or your right hand for that. Oh! <laughs> so, more about this comic. The creative team. It was all of 60 cents. The creative team on this is Paul Kupperberg and Paul Levitt's writers. Joe Staten, artist. Ben Oda, letterer. Adrian Roy, colorist. And Joe Orlando was your editor. If you look on the letters page, Levitz has a small column about he and Kupperberg were longtime collaborators and big fans of Showcase. Staten had done many, many issues of Showcase already. And Joe Orlando was the one tasked with editing the whole thing, which he made a career of at DC. Also, if I can give Ben Otis some recognition, he was a longtime letterer at that point. He would pass away in 1984. And Adrian Roy, a colorist who passed in 2010 but had a hand in covering um, a huge number, a coloring, mm-hmm. sorry, a huge number of comics, uh, oh, yeah. especially the Batman titles. And I think at one point she had her name, the only other name that made more appearances in the credits of a Batman comic at that, aside from her, was Bob Kane. Oh, wow. I, I, somebody, I don't remember where I heard that. I think I want to give like Michael Bailey or somebody credit, but I believe Adrian Roy. It, she's either number two or she's in the top five and just people who frequently had credits in Batman comics because of just the number of years she colored um, Batman and Detective. So, Well, how many times have you listened to a podcast where someone reads out the credits and you hear the names Ben Oda and Adrian Roy? Right. I mean, just it, it's all the time. Yeah, yeah. So um, our title is There Shall Come a Gathering, which, funny enough, is a very Marvel title. <laughs> it's true. We begin on the Justice League satellite where a host of heroes, including Green Lantern, the Teen Titans, Adam Strange, Aquaman, and the Atom, are standing around a computer monitor while the Flash tells them that, ladies and gentlemen, the evidence is conclusive, something is disrupting the fabric of time itself. He then explains that time and space have gone completely sideways with people from different eras popping up all over the place in a fashion similar to what we would see seven years later in Crisis on Infinite Earths. The Flash points out that they're the only heroes available to help because everyone else is off on other missions. Of course they are. Wonder Girl <laughs> says that it's like the gods abandoned them. 
The Green Lantern points out that the Guardians of the Universe are unavailable as well. Then Adam Strange points out that the immediate cause of the problem is that the Earth is being dragged out of orbit. The Atom points out that part of the problem is that a stasis field is being used, which is an area of suspended time defying the normal plane of reality and Earth. It's also being dragged through space faster than light, which means that the fabric of relativity is being ripped to shreds. It makes sense to me. <laughs> if we if if we're being pulled through space, I know I'm interrupting, but there's no sun. Then we, how do we have light? <laughs> I just neither of us have the clout to do this, but this is where we'd be like, ladies and gentlemen, to explain all this, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. That's <laughs> what I want right now. I want Neil deGrasse Tyson to come out and be like, this is nuts. Right. He's gonna say, give me Paul Coverberg's phone number. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Rip Hunter introduces himself to everyone, and he says that he believes that the problem is within the time stream itself, so he and his team are going to take the time sphere through the time barrier and check it out. The Meadowlands say they're going to help take care of any trouble on Earth, and all the other heroes head off to the satellite to help, with Kid Flash asking if Wonder Girl wants to mingle molecules in the teleporter, because... Seriously? Dude, we're going to talk about that. Oh, anyway. <laughs> I don't blame the boy. <laughs> but that's the type of thing I'd, I'd expect out of Speedy. But anyway, Hunter and his t team travel through time, and a number of heroes head to Earth. We follow Adam Strange, Green Lantern, and the Atom in the Flash. They head into space to investigate the, where the power source is located for whatever is moving the planet. They don't see anything, but Adam Strange thinks that whatever they're looking for might be invisible, and he asks Green Lantern to rig up a radar dish. He does, and they find the source, which is yellow which means the Green Lantern's ring is useless. But Strange gives us all a lesson about the Dobbler effect, which causes you to stand in a park with a boombox to play Peter Gabriel songs at your ex-girlfriend's window with the hopes of getting her back. I mean the Doppler effect, <laughs> where the frequency of a light wave changes due to the relative speeds of the light source and observer. And that's actually a physical principle. And that tells, it tells that GL's ring can indirectly help by affecting the light around the power source. He does so in the power source, which is an alien ship, becomes visible. They immediately are accosted by tiny by robots, and we, sh and we shift to Metropolis, where the metal men are helping a confused group of people, many of whom are from other time periods, and among them are the classic DC caveman character, Anthro. In the time stream, Rip Hunter and his team run into a disturbance, and we can't seem to get out of it. And we don't see them for the rest of the friggin' issue. It's true. They do nothing, Rip Hunter. Way to go, Rory Williams. <laughs> a hostess ad gives us an idea of the mission that Wonder Woman is on that prevents her from saving the world because, you know, Twinkies. And at WGBS, Lois Lade goes on the air to plead that Superman come and help. After signing off, she runs into Jack Ryder, who says... She you might have information on what's going on, and they are then met by the challengers of the unknown who tell Lois that the government has authorized them to use the WGBS broadcasting tower to send a cosmic SOS. Unfortunately, they can't send the SOS beyond whatever radio interference is surrounding the Earth, although they do pinpoint the general location of the source of the interference. The challengers and Lois get into a helicopter, Jack Ryder turns into the creeper, and he joins them. Meanwhile, in space... 
Green Lantern struggles against the yellow robots, and the others aren't having much better luck. But just as everything seems lost, a ship flies in and starts blowing the robots away. It's piloted by Space Ranger and his sidekick, Krill. And Heck Space- yeah, it is! <laughs> Space Ranger helps them take out the remaining robots and get on board the ship. We cut quickly to some weird alien being in a compound below the Amer- American Midwest, saying it's surprised that the heroes were able to get on board the ship. On board the ship, our heroes see a life form that looks like... Well, it's like a jello mold of evil with tentacles. (laughs) It really is hard to describe, and it's the best way I think I could think of. But Strange Ranger is space, sorry, but Space Ranger. Strange Ranger. Ranger. That's from a different kind of magazine. You got to buy those behind the counter. Yes, you do. But Space Ranger is able to take it out by shooting a sun lamp that was providing it with life and helps the heroes, but not the Earth because the Earth's still hurtling towards space through space at fashion light speeds. Speaking of Earth, we have the office of O'Day and Simeon, found persons agency, which is, of course, the headquarters of Angel and the Ape. And in one spa- in one page, we see Angel and the Ape, as well as a ton of random DC characters. I'm going to list them ca- clockwise from top left. Anthro, <laughs> Binky, Tommy Tomorrow, White Feather, Dumb Bunny, Firehair, Awkward Man, Merry Man, Blimp, Batlash, and Windy and Willie. They have one of those what are we going to do with all these people conversations? And then Tommy tomorrow says that he has a ship that can figure out what's going on. Angel, Tommy and Batlash head for that ship while Simeon reluctantly babysits everybody else. We then head across the country where Aquaman, Aquaman is helping save people along with the sea devils and dolphin who rescues, who rescues two children who aren't mentioned in the letters page as sugar and spike but look very much like Sugar and Spike, and I have to believe that's probably on purpose. Oh, it's totally Sugar and Spike. Yeah. Then in Metropolis, the Metal Men fight a dinosaur. Because why not? (laughs) While the Teen Titans fight both Vikings and Nazis. (laughs) Bob Haney did not write this issue, by the way. (laughs) Up in space again, the heroes on board the alien craft stand unable to do anything and they're frustrated until the Phantom Stranger shows up to say something and then leaves because that's what the Phantom Stranger does. Okay, no, he actually holds a seance and he calls upon the Spectre who grabs a hold of the Earth and tries to stop it from flying through space. The Challengers, Lois and the Creeper fly over the Rocky Mountains and while they dodge lightning from a storm and then missiles, they find a mysterious structure. They find a hatch and they open it. Lois jumps through it right away and then closes and gets stuck which means she's alone in there. Soon after, Tommy Tomorrow's ship shows up with Angel and Batlash while up in space. The Spectre can't stop the Earth from moving. Tommy Tomorrow blasts through the hull of the structure, and Angel jumps into the hole where she runs into huge green robots, which are similar to robots that Lois is currently fighting against. Both of them separately crawl through tunnels and sweat through increased levels of radiation, trying desperately to get to the end of the tunnels before it's too late. Out in space, the Green Lantern, the Phantom Stranger, Adam Strange, the Flash, Space Ranger, Krill, and the Atom use everything in their power to fix the Earth's movement and return it to its rightful place. The Spectre takes off, and while GL is happy, the Phantom Stranger isn't because the work isn't done, especially on Earth. And we cut to Earth, where Lois and Angel have met and begin tearing apart computers while the alien inside the facility regroups and decides to aim Earth at the planet of his enemies. Then Angel tears at a pile of wires and this ejects the life support globe of the creature into space. The complex begins to crumble around Lois and Angel and all of the time displaced characters begin fading away and return to their own eras. 
And as GL says that he's happy that everything's going to be all right, the Flash wants to know what happened. The Phantom Stranger says, Fate may take but one of many roads, Flash, and this day it has chosen the road of continued life for the small planet. Man may never discover the answer to this puzzle, but it is a big universe that holds many questions and few answers. Be content, my friends, for it is best perhaps we never know. Meanwhile, in the ruined complex of the alien, Lois tells Angel to stop crying because it's all over and she's a hero. And Angel says, I know, Miss Lane, it's just that this is the first time I've ever been so happy about breaking something. I'm going to let you go first since I Jeez. I need to um, I need to drink a water for sure, <laughs> sure. recapping that. Well, I'm just going to start going. Feel mm-hmm. free. I, I've got some general comments, and then I'm just going to comment as I go through the issue. So jump in at any point with your yeah. stuff. Um, this thing's insane. Oh, it's crazy. Absolutely insane, but like in a <coughs> good way. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Crisis because I read these out of order. It sounds like you did too. You know, I read Crisis. I grew up with Crisis. It's yeah. in my DNA. Yeah. And and now I read this you know, just recently for this show. And it looking at it in reverse, it really feels like someone went back in time, showed them Crisis and says, okay, I want you to do this, but can you do it in 34 pages? Because it really, it feels like a crisis level event. Everyone's coming together. You got multiple time periods overlapping. Characters are meeting for no reason other than to have them meet. It feels like a fun crisis is what it really, really feels like to me. It does. And it, like, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, like a campy version of it because it, it, it's yeah. it's very cartoony in the way it's presented. And I think part of that I think is Staten's art, which sure. is still gorgeous, but but he has a more cartoony style than like per- Perez, who is oh, yeah. way more straightforward superhero. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's just it, this is a blast. It really it's is an absolute blast. And we talked a lot about characters earlier. I was sort of surprised. There, there's two sets of characters I really would have expected to be in here. As, as it being a celebration of the first 100 issues of, of Showcase, because what it really turns out to be is a celebration of the original run of Showcase that mm-hmm. went through issue at 93, 94, whatever. Yeah. Because you would think they would have found a way to squeeze in the, the new Doom Patrol and, and Power Girl, both who had premiered or at least was appearing in, in the more recent issues of Showcase. Yeah. So that, but that's okay. I mean, well, any chance for Joe Staten to draw Power Girl in the 70s, I will take that chance. Well, this, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oof, can't. Whoa. In fact, let's let's talk about that for just a second. Again, I mentioned at the top of the show that he does not know how to draw an unattractive woman back then, no. because Power Girl. I'm not. I'm sorry, Wonder Girl. Now, I, I normally I'd be very careful because she's a teen character, right? Mm-hmm. But she is clearly drawn to be an incredibly voluptuous, like 25 year old woman here, and that is why Wally wants to mingle with her in yeah. in the transporter. Not only that, she's got like this total 60s hair thing going yep. on. It's the bottom panel of page four. And it's the second version of the costume. Mm-hmm. So it's not the original version, which when um, I'm assuming you have read the Titan swing in Christmas Carol. I, at some point, but I don't from any of so it. I, uh, Teen Titans, like number seven or whatever. It's, it's a, it's a Christmas Carol story. Basically mm-hmm. Nick Cardi. Yes. Draws Wonder Girl in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> it's like, because Nick, Nick Cardi drew gorgeous women. Yes, he did. And 
I told him that when I met him. <laughs> when it's Wonder Girl, it's like, oh wow. I I have to yeah. tell you, I you know, I in my formative years was reading Crisis on Infinite Earths, and uh, I, Donna Troy is a very young crush for me, so I don't feel out of line for it. Because I, we, she and I, we were both teens together, so it's okay. No, I got you. <laughs> the Romeo and Juliet law applies. Um, so she, well, but, even even as even as Lois Lane, who is dressed more sensibly in a sense because she's a reporter, although yeah. she, you know, is still um, drawn in a way that's very sexy. You know, but, you know, and she's just and she just wearing like her typical sweater and and you know long skirt. If I remember she, right, she's totally. You know who she is. Um, She's totally Kate Jackson in oh, Charlie's okay. Angels. Yeah, that's right. Well, she's got the turtleneck. She's got the turtleneck, the sweater, yeah. and the skirt and the high boots. Yeah, she does. And again, like you said, she's she's dressed very uh, professionally, but boy, he found a way to make it smoking hot. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Mr. Staten. We sincerely appreciate that. We salute you. <laughs> uh, let's see what else. Um all right, so now I'm going to get into some of the just the points of the story. Do you, do you want to give your overall thoughts, or, or have you already said them? Or? I think I'm just going to go go along with you as we go. I, I will point out that you mentioned how this is a celebration of Showcase's original run, which mm-hmm. makes sense because the Teen Titans make an appearance, but the Teen Titans, I don't, I don't, I didn't see Speedy in here. Maybe I, I'd have to flip through. Maybe he does pop up when they're when they're fighting Vikings and Nazis, but. Um, the ones we see at least at the beginning of the story are Kid Flash, Wonder Girl. Aqualad and Robin, who were part of the original, um, were part of the at least the one of the original iterations of the uh, of the um, story. I mean, of the team. And uh, at this point, this came out after issue number fifty-three of the original series. That was the last issue of the Bronze Age, Silver, and then Bronze Age Teen Titans. And they would have two more appearances before DC Comics Presents number 26. Gotcha. So the, the Titans by this point had more or less officially officially broken up. Now, question for you. When did Speedy first appear with the Titans? Was it in the Brave and the Bold yeah. issues or was it not till the Teen Titans? Speedy, Speedy, I believe, Wonder Girl, I believe, is the one that did not make an appearance in Brave and the Bold number 54. I think it was Aqualad. Speedy, Kid Flash, and Robin, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And then I, I was Wonder just trying Girl, to tie it back to the, the yeah. showcase appearance, wondering if these are the ones who were in the showcase. They might have been in the showcase. And I think that showcase is in the Teen Titans showcase presents mm. phone book trade, which is I do not have in the room with me. So I, I, I wouldn't, I, if I had it, if I had it nearby, I would flip, flip it open. But um, I, I'm, I'm going to get a copy for every room in the house. Yeah, no, sorry. So. <laughs> Um, now I'm going to go ahead and jump ahead to when the heroes are in space. So if you got anything you, know, you want to interject there, feel free. I, I liked how when, when Adam Strange says create a radar, can you create a radar? How does it? But he actually has difficulty doing it. And they make a point. Like, there's two panels of him basically kind of saying it was a challenge to do, but he did it. And I like that because so often, you know, Green Lanterns will just create a construct and can do whatever the heck they wanted to. Here yeah. they demonstrate that it was difficult for Hal. So I, I kind of dug on that. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and then you you explain the Doppler effect, which I'm glad you did, and the Doppler effect. Both are yeah. pretty important, really, in reality. But mm-hmm. I, I I got kind of mad when I read about that because I don't know if you remember in 1992, DC published a special called Gantt's Tale, 
and yes. it was it was a it was a big deal because it was John Byrne and Larry Niven, mm-hmm. and they kept bragging about how they brought in Larry Niven, a famed science fiction author who was going to bring some hard science concepts, science fiction concepts, to the Green Lantern mythos. And one of the things they did was the Doppler shift, huh. and and they made a big deal about how he was bringing this. And I'm like, wait a minute, they did it 20 years before. Holy crap! So, um, you know what? Get this tale. You can go take a jump. Not saying. only that, on page seven, where he says, um, Adam Strange is the one who explains it. He says, the phenomenon called the Doppler effect, blah, blah, blah. Right below it is a diagram mm-hmm. that explains exactly how it works. It's pretty neat. It's cute. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of hinted at when you were in the synopsis. I interrupted you a few times. but I, I no, had go ahead. Go ahead. The Time Master one. Just... So there's so many characters in it. They're either throwaway cameos or they just kind of get lost. And the Time Masters got lost in the story because they show up in the beginning. They make a big deal about how they're going to, um, you know, go solve the time travel problem. And then they just they get stuck. Rip Hunter's like, well, crap. Well, yeah. let's just hope our ship doesn't get destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> and um, let's play Pinochle. Yeah, apparently page 21, somewhere in there, are King Faraday, Johnny Double, and Manhunter 2070. So it's blink. It's it's the very equivalent of a blink and you miss it cameo. Yeah. It's 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 Hitchcock walking through the frame with a dog, you know? Like. <laughs> yep. Uh, so we get the appearance of my beloved Space Ranger. And, and, and uh, I keep trying to say Cyril, but it's Krill. I always say it wrong. Mm-hmm. And honestly... This is actually the first comic I've ever read with my beloved Space Ranger. I fell in love with him solely from his Who's Who entry. And, well, I guess he appeared in a, a Starman comic I read, so that's not true. He may have. It's a, such a cool character. He is! It's, he looks ridiculous, but he's cool. so Buck Rogers or that, that sort of out-there 50s science fiction. Mm-hmm. Um the Tommy Tomorrow type, yeah, it's just which he Tommy Tomorrow does make an appearance later yep. on, but this is totally like, yeah, this is space adventure guy, you know, um, uh, with space with with shape changing Cubert, yeah, to infinity <laughs> and beyond. I mean, that's totally yeah. what this is, and and oh man, it's so it's just so fun to see him because he comes in like with that personality too. Oh, he comes in like a boss. Yeah. When, like, when his ship showed up, I actually thought that was Hawkman's Thanagarian ship mm-hmm. at first because it looks a lot like it. But he he blasts all the robots. He comes in. He's, you know, handling – he handles everything. It's like the other guys didn't even need to be there. He, yeah. He's that much of a, of, a, of a James Bond sci-fi guy. Now, little history on him. He's from the 22nd century. And, mm-hmm. and again, his, his friend is a shape-changing Qbert, which is the quickest way to describe him. And uh, now – I did a little more research on this again. Now, he seems like one of these fly-by-night kind of characters that probably appeared and disappeared. Take a wild stab at how many appearances he had back in the day, back in the 50s. 25. Over 50! Holy shh! Yeah! This dude, he was in, um, you know, he, he started here. He, he was yeah. in two issues of, of Showcase. And then he went on to, and I, I forgive me, I don't remember the names of the books. All DC had so many anthology books that back then, mm-hmm. I, I forget the names of them. And he was in two different ones. And he was basically a headliner, or he shared uh, the headline spot with somebody else in, over about 50 different comics. Blew my mind. And if you look at the history of it, he appeared in two issues, and then it was created in two issues of Showcase. Then the next two issues, Adam Strange was created. 
So clearly they, they were on a tear for science fiction type heroes yeah. to do those guys back to back. And then uh, he, he uh, Space Ranger had a cameo on uh, Batman Brave and the Bold cartoon animated series. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Didn't know that. And this one I didn't know, and I'm embarrassed I didn't know this because this is near and dear to my heart. On the Legends of Tomorrow television show, Professor Stein, my favorite character in all of the Firestorm mythos, yeah. makes a reference to growing up, or maybe not growing up, but reading a comic book or a, reading stories about Rick Star Space Ranger. Oh, really? It's awesome! I missed that reference, too. That's really cool. I didn't catch it, so that makes me very happy. So they fight the Jello Mold of Death. <laughs> seriously what it looks like. No, you're right, you're right. With, uh, with, with, fur, with, you know, stringy pieces of yeah, yeah. vegetable growing out of it. Um, how awesome is page 17? Oh my gosh, it is insanely awesome. This is the page in the uh, in, in Angel and Ape's office. Yeah, and it's you just did the clockwise around. Yeah, because it's a it's a splash page, and it's just all of these people shoved in to um, this office where he's been gathering them up, and then then she ends up leaving, and they're just they are they've all got different expressions in their face. Angel is just this buxom Oof. dude that distracted she's that hot i can tell yeah, i'm trying to i'm trying to compare her to she's lonnie anderson lonnie anderson <laughs> that's exactly i was trying to somebody with yes lonnie yeah. anderson is, is in, in wkrp wkrp in cincinnati thank yes. you um now would you does she have white hair or is that platinum blonde she has white hair okay All right. um and i know this from the 1990 who's who finder <laughs> edition Who's who in the DC Universe? Who's in the DC Universe, Binder Edition, because I have <laughs> all of that, plus yep. the binders. Me too. Um, Me too. Yeah. I'm, I'm, oh, God. When you guys get to that, letters. Letters from me, man. Just toward you. So many emails you will get. Awesome. I look yeah, forward to it, man. I, I, that, was, that was... You talk about... I mean, I, we're off another change. But that came out right as I started collecting. I went and got all of the issues... And that caused me, and I had heard of Who's Who from reading old back issues of Crisis and other things and seeing the ads. And that prompted me to go back and buy what back issues I could get hand, my hands of, of on of Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe. So I don't have a complete collection. I'm still missing bits and pieces like the Update 87 and Update 88. But... Uh, it's good stuff, man. That's good. Now, this is so much fun. I do want to explain. I guess I should explain that for just a second. I mean, I, I know you'll give me a chance to pimp my wares at the end, but I do a podcast called Who's Who, um, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe with my podcasting life mate, Rob Kelly. And what we do Stella is Stella loves it. Uh, she does. She, I converted her. Uh, she actually for, really forcefully. does. She honestly said how much fun the show was. We were, we were talking the other day. So I, I had to pay her a lot of money to say that, but I, I appreciate that, so. I, you'll notice it still is getting no compliments out of me. So anyway, um, and what we do is on this thing, we go through the who's who comic literally one page at a time. And we talk about every single entry, which is why as Tom and I go through this comic, I'm able to completely understand what's going on and, and know why anthro matters and why Tommy tomorrow and space ranger. And I have a passion for all these ridiculously obscure characters that I fell in love with just their who's who entry. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's very exciting to see 
all of that effort and work that I put into every single issue of that co- of that podcast pay off by reading this. <laughs> Actually, yeah. it's it's like everything paid off here. Yeah. Hey, and I feel and I feel robbed that uh, Binky and uh, Willie and Winky were not in Who's Who. I, yeah, I feel robbed. And Aquaman, Aquaman has a job to do and does it. This kind of makes me want to read a Sea Devils comic for some reason. Well, I mean. <laughs> Get the showcase then. I, I have to track down the showcase yeah. because it was just it was it was one of those showcases that I saw along with Enemy Ace and a couple other ones where I was like I kept making me mental note pick this up because it's not the umpteenth Batman reprints and things like that. I was like, wow, this is the type of stuff. Which is honestly why I bought Amethyst because I'm like I've never seen this reprinted. Mm-hmm. I should check it out, and I, it's why I bought the Trial of the Flash and and Ghosts because I'm like. What a, a middling horror comic from the seventies! Sign me up. Well, it's it's also I mean it's Russ Heath, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, woof. Yeah. Now, so. um, I loved that page of seeing Aquaman working together with the mm-hmm. Sea Devils and Dolphin. I mean, that's just a great collection of yeah. sea based characters. It's probably the first time they ever did that too. And how awesome is that? And Dolphin, you know, years later goes on to be Aquaman's girlfriend. So mm-hmm. and Aqualad's eventual wife. Well, yeah. Uh, although. Now, Good God, they turned her into such a shrill harpy when she was Aqualad's wife. Well, in, they, in, in that Titan series. Yes, yes, they did. Mm-hmm. But we don't talk about that Titan series. No, we don't talk about that Titan series. <laughs> so let's go back to the Jello mold for a second. All right, yes. so trying to understand, and I know it's a fool's errand trying to understand what's happening in this comic, but so that ship with the Jello mold, their job is to power. Whatever is pulling the Earth across the universe at faster than light speed. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, with the moon with it, by the way. Okay, right. I noticed that, yeah. So they stop the Jello mold. Yes. Which, in theory, I don't know what that does in the comic because the planet doesn't stop moving at faster than light speed. And they don't say, oh, the power's cut and the momentum's keeping the planet going, which I, that's my sort of like no prize thing. But it, it just. I don't know that they did anything there stopping Mr. Jello Mold. This is this is why they have the Phantom Stranger give this speech at the end of the issue where he says, man may never discover the answers to this puzzle because we don't know them because we have no idea. We just threw this together because we just wanted to have some fun. There's no logical explanation for anything that happens in this issue. Don't try to make sense of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so, Spectre. Let's talk about Spectre here. When he flattens Europe and Asia. Because <laughs> that's what he's doing. He's got his hands against the earth, and he's physically pushing it. So all of those people in Europe and Asia are dead now. Oh, those poor people. Can you just imagine looking up, seeing a giant green glove coming? Ah! And then... Um, so everyone, you know, does their. I believe. I believe they're fairy. I believe in fairies and clap their hands or or, or snap yeah. their fingers or whatever it is. And so suddenly the Earth is stops moving, which I I got on board with actually until I realized they then said, "Oh, and we returned it to where we started." Like what? When did that happen? <laughs> it's so, all. It's it's just it. Yeah, comic. Books. I should stop. Yeah, because comics. I should stop asking questions. I suppose, but that just blew my mind. It works because it just has to work. I mean, it, like, because yeah. I'm not a big fan of the huge seance, like, supernatural ending. That's what, because 
you have lamented countless times how boring you find the Trigon stuff. Oh my gosh, he's the world's most, or the universe's most boring despot. And I have defended not the first story, but the second one, the one that kicked off the Baxter series. Because I I own it, I haven't read it. You don't have A, it is not interrupted by Kurt Swan. (laughs) I like Kurt Swan, but you're right, that's just like, what? That's a but, full stop moment right there, man. Yeah. It's like, what? But, and it, what I like about it is that it takes, it, it is that at least it's a five-issue arc and Trigon wins in the hmm. first, by the end of issue two. And in issue three, they are captured and they are being tormented. And... The problem is that it's not the Titans who essentially save... The Titans save the day in some regard, but basically they save the day because Lilith places this thing on Raven's body and she lifts up and she's all glowing and the light chases away. It's all this mystical, mystical, hocus-pocus crap that is is not as satisfying an ending as say the Titans beat up the, the bad guy. Okay. You know, it's one of those like, Oh, we did it by holding a seance, but it, it's much less boring because it's, it, it's him coming in and like, at least feeling like as big of a threat as he always was built up to be. Because when he comes in, in the second version, he's enormous. Mm-hmm. He like, literally stands on the on the twin towers with one of each of them at his feet like he's the colossus of Rhodes or something hmm. and he's doing all sorts of stuff and and turning the world and getting under his thrall and he picks up titan's tower and throws it at them he is he is the attack of the like thousand foot monster and it it makes it, it that's so that's what that was my first trigon story i didn't read the the first version of it for years because i just never found those issues and then eventually got the issues and read the first trigon story which is nowhere near as good in my mind as that so that's why i will i will defend the character slightly but you only needed you only ever needed that character for those two stories and after that for the most part never came up again and until, well, until they started bringing back everybody all the time, but uh, but Raven turning evil was always just half a step away from a Trigon story, though. Yeah. Oh my God! Don't or kissing me. Starfire. At the uh, I, 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 <laughs> it happened. You know, you can't deny it, brother. <laughs> I have. Oh, been there, done that. Literally, have the T-shirt. Yeah, well, you wrote the letters. <laughs> I wrote the letters. So I have the T-shirt. The t-shirt? T- what do you mean? There's a t- there's a Titans 100 t-shirt. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah. And the front of it is this absolutely gorgeous Tom Grummet depiction of the Titans as they were at the time coming at you. Like Nightwing, Starfire, and Aqualad, Baby Will the Beast, and Arsenal, all that. But it's just... It's Tom Grummet. It's the Titans of the time. It looks really dynamic. It's like, wow, this is really cool. I can't wear the freaking thing in public because the back of the t-shirt is S and M Raven 
standing on top of a 100 because it was for Titans 100. Mm. It's like is, it a to- is it at least Tom Grummet doing the Oh, it's all to- it's Tom Grummet. Yeah, but it's Tom Grummet. At least it's Tom Grummet. But at the same time, it's like, isn't that exactly appropriate for me to wear? I wore it to a con once because I can get away with it there. You could, you could do the 90s thing where you wear the T-shirt and then you wear like a plaid button-down shirt on the outside. like a Yeah. Jacket. <laughs> yeah, because the front, the front of it, yeah, because basically the front of the T-shirt's a superhero comic, and the back of the T-shirt's a White Snake album cover. And I'm like, <laughs> now I don't know if I've ever said this on your show, but I'll just throw it out there. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but Tom's a little bit of a Titans fan, yeah. and uh, he and I, if I remember right, we actually got in on the same issue, didn't we? Both Titans, what uh, New Titans seventy one, the beginning of the Titans hunt. Wasn't that yeah, both? that was that was I think both of us our first issue. Yeah. That that's where I, my passion for the Titans began, and I from that issue until the New Fifty Two, I bought Teen Titans or whatever in, incarnation of the Titans every month from then on. Same thing. I missed like three or four issues. I'm missing like two or three issues from the very tail end of the Sean McKeever run. Oh, it's, it was good. I don't care what people say. It was good. I don't. I had dropped comics for a few months around then. It didn't have to do with the Titans. It had more to do with Grant Morrison and Final Crisis. Um, it's a long story. Hey, but you actually don't have to explain that to me. I, I'm, I'm, you gave me what I needed right there. And it was, it was hearing people talk about JT Cruel, Crawl, on the Titans and and the Teen Titans books and like and some of the other stuff that was going on that I was like, oh, I'll check this out. And the minute I've told you this, the minute the, the new Fifty Two solicitations came out for the Titans, I was like, I walked away completely. I didn't even pick up the first issue. I tried. I bought it for a few I, months, I, and then I even bought it when they relaunched a few months ago. The first one, I'm like, oh, this is still not a comic I want. And I lived through the Devin Grayson Jay Fairber run too. I mean, well, we all did. Yeah. yeah. So and this, this oh. But back to better comics. Right. Sorry, um, we're in the middle of this. Right. Yeah. So seance. Talking, but the seance. But there's also um, the seance aside. There's the the angel and Lois inside and just basically tearing the computer apart um, sequence, which mm-hmm. I love. Any time Lois Lane is in action like that, because it's just fun to see that classic version that classic Lois Lane story where she's, you know, knocking somebody out or she's saving the day in some way or another. It's those are always fun. Even in the modern, in the in the post burn, I mean the post crisis burn era, where um you'd have somebody like a, a Louise Simonson and a John Bogdanov or whoever draw you know, doing her and doing something where she she's in the thick of it and she knows how to find her way out. She doesn't always need Superman to rescue her. Yep. Um, and she's doing that here. And Angel, Angel is kind of an airhead. Kind of. Okay. Angel's a total airhead, but it works. She just is like, I'm just going to go ahead and, and I don't know where to start. And she just starts doing stuff and she breaks it. And she's like, I'm, for once, I'm glad I broke something. I think you missed something, sir. Well, yeah, I probably did. Um, check that out. Hold on. Let me get to the right page number here. When they're ripping everything apart, mm-hmm. uh, and Angel says he's going to reach over there and grab that bit. That is on page, I swear I'm almost there, page 33, the second panel, when she makes the decision of what pile to to grab, she doesn't. The Phantom Stranger guides her hand. Ooh. You can only, it's a white, what's that? Interesting. It's a white hand 
and you can see a bit of a blue sleeve. So that's that's got to be Phantom Stranger's gloved hand guiding her on what to grab. Yeah. So she doesn't actually save the day so much as Phantom Stranger uses her as a bit of a tool. Now, I want to talk about this whole thing with uh, with, with Lois and Angel, and it sort of bothers me that they're the two heroes that saved the day. Because this is Showcase 100. This is supposed to celebrate Showcase. And I went back and did the research. Lois got two issues of Showcase. Angel only got one issue of Showcase. That's it. Now, admittedly, most characters didn't get a long run in Showcase. Most mm-hmm. of them were short. But if you look at characters like Aquaman and Aqualad, they had – and I know I'm a little biased. I do do a podcast about Aquaman. But he got four issues of Showcase. Or the Metal Men – also got four issues of Showcase. Mm-hmm. Those are the, looking at the, I did, again, did some research before we started. Those are the two characters, or two groups, I should say, that appear to have had the longest runs in Showcase. And yet their parts are very minimal in the story. Whereas Lois, who really was already famous before she even appeared. Oh, yeah. In Showcase, which is sort of, I just, I don't know. I feel like it's a bit of a cheat using her um, just because she was already a big name. And then, you know, Angel, I, I guess, sort of works because she did spin out of Showcase. But when they showed them both fighting robots, for example, Wonder I mean, not Wonder Woman, uh, Lois is just kicking butt. She's tearing down robots. Now, they might as well have just come out and said she was using Clucklore. They didn't say it, but, you know, she, I think that's what she's using is Kryptonian martial arts. Uh-huh. And she's kicking the butt. I, mean, I just find it funny that it's called Clucklore. But anyway, <laughs> just kicking the living crap out of the robots. And Angel gets by just as successfully by Lois as Lois does. By just being lucky. <laughs> she does nothing other than, like, dodge and weave and gets out of there. So what they're basically saying is, uh, you know, dumb luck, blondes have all the luck, I guess. You know, white hair have all the luck, really? I mean, it, it just is sort of like a statement against Lois. It's like Lois has to work so much harder for her street cred. And along comes some blucks, buxom, gorgeous girl who just gets whatever she wants, bounces right through it. Do-do-do. <sighs> so, anyway, yeah. and then at the end... Shouldn't the girls be dying of radiation poisoning? <laughs> oh yeah, because <laughs> they t- they spend panels and panels and panels talking about the radiation poisoning and the you know how bad it is, and there's no mention of any of that at the end. You should be just chock full of tumors at this, right? Yeah. And uh, one one final comment on artistically, the very last panel of the book. As you said, when the Lois and and Angel are there laying there and they're just laughing about it, and mm-hmm. she, she, if you take all the word balloons out of that panel and post that nowadays, that would be a fantastic out of context panel. Yes, Two sure. gorgeous women hugging, laying on the ground in tears and sweaty, and just looks like they were doing something else instead. Once again, Shag, that's a whole other different comic that you have to buy behind the counter. <laughs> Thank you, Joe Staten. <laughs> oh. And yes, that is where my mind goes, Stella. Terribly yeah. sorry. <laughs> and, although, and, and honestly, if Hal is saying everything's going to be all right, amen to that, GL. Shouldn't the expression on the guy's faces in that inset panel be a little more happy than, like, glaring at the... <laughs> <laughs> I think they're just wishing they were there with their two girls. Yeah, that's probably. Prob- <laughs> or they wish they could understand what the heck just happened. <laughs> and by the way, I love how Space Ranger's last line before he fades away was, good galaxies, what was that? 
What a great character. He's, he makes me so happy. I got to read some of his classic stories now. And I hope they don't let me down because he's a total boss. You know, I, I love this guy. So you want to um, any last words on this before we check out the ads? It was super fun, folks. I mean, we we have spent some time really nit, nerdy nitpicking this thing. Mm-hmm. But because it's that much fun, that much fun. Oh, it's a so hoot. Yeah, I, I and I can't believe I've gotten this far in life as a DC fan and have never read this. Yeah. And uh, when, when I told Aqua Rob I was going to be doing this show with you, his response was, oh, my gosh, what a what's such a fun comic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everyone should read this. It, it yeah. will make you so happy. It will yeah. it will help you find your joy. And it's a it's a great comic. So we are. We open up the back cover, and there is an advertisement for AAU shoes. The AAU superstar versus the sinister stole the sinister soul, S O L E, in a race for life. Yep. And the story—it's a one, two, three, four, five, six-panel comic strip ad where this, where a kid is dying in a hospital bed. And he will die without miracle medicine. And this thing that kind of looks like dead man, but has like a devil face and horns with a logo that is, I'm not kidding, SS written very similar to what you would oh, see oh, yeah. on an SS uniform. Um, what is the life of a mere boy to this sinister soul? The portion, potion is mine. I'll bring the world to its knees and not even AAU superstar. 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 <laughs> oh, God. This looks like a fake superhero <laughs> shoe ad someone would create rather than a real one. Intermark Shoe Company, a division of International Seaway Trading Corporation, Cleveland, Ohio. Well, I think this is the same time that Warner Brothers was owned by a company that made its fortune with parking lots. So I, I don't know that the, the companies they were associated with were you know the most logical choices for comedy. AAU Superstar is wearing basically the superhero version of a 70s tracksuit. Yep. Um, and he, he races after him and he says, hold your tongue, Sinister Soul, in my AAU shoes. I've shown you, Sinister Soul, that your evil power no more match for my supernatural strength. Well, it was going to be this or it was going to be O.J. Simpson <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a boot commercial. So <laughs> that is just the weirdest hat. Oh, my They'd be God. on the inside front cover, too. Yeah. I mean, they had to pay a pretty penny for that. Yeah, they probably did. So we flipped through it some more, and we've got um, Zagnuts and Clark Bars and the Clark Peanut Butter Log. Um, <laughs> Comes out looking the same. Anyway, the, uh, the Zagnut, though, that's a good candy bar. I'm yeah. just saying. Yeah. Um, grit. Yep. <laughs> Remember how many times you felt left out because you were broke? I can't tell you how many times I stared at various grit ads, usually with Richie Rich, if I recall, mm-hmm. thinking about going like, hmm, I could make some cash. Yeah. Now, I, I bought it. I, I didn't literally buy it, but I, I strongly considered it. I believed it could work. Um, now, this is 78, and you mentioned Star Wars, and there is an ad for Star Wars posters, which um, it's like it's this huge. I'm not going to read it because it's this long, long text piece. 
but um, 10 fabulous full-color posters of your favorite Star Wars ex- exciting articles. Yeah, I don't know if this is a fan club thing. Well, it's, it's like a poster club is kind yeah, of like what it is. Yeah, it's like a poster club, yeah. A Star it, Warriors. At first, I thought it was the Star Wars fan club mm-hmm. uh, because that was a big deal. In fact, my brother joined the Star Wars fan club in 78. I had... And- I had a membership back in 83, 84. Oh, okay. I used to get, used to get Bantha tracks every month. Yep. And, yeah. yeah. Well, he got, for signing up, he got this, like, C-3PO necklace. It was interesting. It was just like a chain, but the, the pendant was like a giant C-3PO that I then repurposed in the 80s with a paperclip as an earring because I'm huh. an idiot. And it was so heavy, it almost ripped through my ear. My ear you are an idiot. I am. Uh, <laughs> I got a patch... Yeah, two patches. I got a Return of the Jedi patch, an Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom patch, and a portfolio that said Star Wars Fan Club on the front. You got your your card, but there were um, pictures of. It was almost like a press kit. Okay. That because there were there were portrait pictures, like uh, headshots of like Han and Lando and Luke and and some of the Ewoks and stuff. But then there were like bl- the black and white stills from the film that you would get if you were like a news outlet and needed mm-hmm. a picture to run oh, yeah. and then some other stuff and I, I remember having that I don't remember what happened to it um I think just I think unfortunately it's probably lost the time but it was some really really good stuff I remember having those all those pictures tacked up on a bulletin board <laughs> in my bedroom when I was a kid I, I gotta so, point this out here in the article it ta- it says here uh, they say that the Dark Lord of the Sith, Darth Vader himself, lives yet. If it is true, and our sources are extremely extremely reliable, then without a doubt, Darth will be back. His black soul, more twisted than before, his cunning mind, filled with terrors as yet unimagined. Now, if this if, if this is 78, so yeah, the, if I remember correctly, and I really hope I'm not wrong and be pretty embarrassed, I want to say the original Star Wars didn't have the shot of Vader riding his ship. And flying away. I don't know. If I remember right, the original Star Wars had Han shoot it, and he spins off. And that's the last time you see Vader. I don't think they had, the, the again, that scene where he writes himself and flies away. And um, I mean, there was a fanaticism for Vader right out of Star Wars. And my brother used to have one of those posters that you color with the markers. And this has nothing to do with Showcase 100. But I'm sorry. I <laughs> Started thinking about Star Wars you know, merchandising in '78 beyond the, the action figures. Yeah, the devilish Grand Moff Tarkin. <laughs> <laughs> um, you'd have to ask Scott Rifen might know about whether or not that was true. I know there were well, certain things that I'm were... sure there's a million wiki pages dedicated to that too. Yeah, so. yeah. someone's either writing in going yes, Shag's right, or someone's writing in going no, you moron. So. <laughs> or yes, you moron. Um, <laughs> the Wonder Woman Twinkies ad. That one's a hoot. <laughs> um, there's an ad in Showcase 100 for Showcase 100. <laughs> With all the covers. Adception. That's, um, that's nice. <laughs> there's a, the, I love this. There's an ad for uh, you can order back issues of some sh- uh, treasury editions, tablets. Mm-hmm. And the Superman vs. Muhammad Ali, the best of DC... The Superman vs. Wonder Woman, a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer one. I actually own or I have a Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Not the one that's on there, but I do have it. That's the only tr- DC Treasury edition that I own. And I bought it for this show. Oh, how uh, funny. Uh, I did, it, it's, it's in terrible condition. I, I didn't pay very much for it. Um, but 
a few years ago, I was at my LCS just picking up my books, and there was a copy of that Batman one sitting on the counter. I was just looking at this. So it's, it's Batman versus Raja Ghoul. I bet it this was amazing. It's a collection of the whole Raja Ghoul saga reprinted in Treasury. And I said, I looked at I looked at the guy behind the counter. I was like, how much do you want? He's like, I think you like 15 or 20 bucks. <gasps> and I had it, and I was like, I said, are you kidding? Because I'll get it. He's like, unfortunately, somebody's already reserved it. Oh. And I just went, oh, you're killing me. Then put it down. Don't yeah. leave it out there and tempt me. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, they were like filing stuff. They were in the middle of like filing or refiling or something. But yeah. that's why it was out on the counter. And I was just like, oh, you are killing me. Because I've seen this and I've seen a number of treasuries. And they go for a lot of money sometimes, depending on who the dealer is. The only treasury I have, at least of the original run, I bought some of the ones they did like the two thousands, but mm-hmm. um, is the is the Superman versus uh, Spider Man, yeah, the the original one, and that's that's a great comic. My now, my, I had one as a kid. I don't remember what yeah. treasury I had, but I know I had a treasury as a kid. My friend Chris, when we were little kids, had the Star Wars one. Oh right, okay, that reprinted yeah. the original, and 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 I used to, we used to flip through that all the time, and um, I saw it a couple of years ago. And the the guy at the, the table had like he had like seven of them, and he wanted like forty bucks. Wow. And he's like, "Have yeah, forty bucks?" And I was like, "Okay." I said, "It's a little too rich for." I was very polite. Said, "This is a little, yeah. little too rich for my blood," so I'm just going to kind of move on to another bin. And the thought through my head was, "Well, you have seven of them now, and you're going to be leaving with seven of them on right. Sunday afternoon, man, because yeah. that's a lot of money to pay for even a treasury comic." Well, and the other thing, I mean, how many versions do I already have of that comic? I mean, I've got the the original copies I had, including the reprints, which, by the way, if you had been born a few years earlier, you would have known that, as Michael Bay likes to say, you were actually issued copies of the mm-hmm. reprints of that comic when you, know, yeah. in, in, when you were a kid. Just this, legally, you had to be distributed to you. But, and this was the case, that the late 70s in Star Wars is the case of Marvel end, ending up printing the crap out of something because there actually was demand for them to print the crap out of something as opposed to the nineties, which not so well, yeah. But I, I remember having, you know, my first, for me, it was issues four, five, and six were my reprint ones. Mm-hmm. And it actually has printed up in the corner box reprint. Oh, really? Every kid I know had a reprint of those issues. Yeah. So, but, but you know, that, and how, who doesn't have that, you know, either in the dark horse collection or the omnibuses or mm-hmm. whatever. Like, oh yeah. How did you get away charging 40 bucks for that? That's insane. Yeah. Uh, there's a slim Jim ad. There's, of course, there's a slip there's a there's a hodgepodge kind of a it's one of those like you know order these prank mm-hmm. stupid prank things it classifies yeah but in but all but in color which is impressive yeah we flip through there's the uh, strong arms Mike's Marvel Mike Marvel scientific isometrics and then train at home to be a motorcycle mechanic well sure <laughs> classic hodgepodge ad yep um. Uh, so Robert Bell is, sell, is from Hopog, New York. Hopog, New York was maybe about 15 minutes away from my house. Oh, oh when you were a kid, you mean? When I was a kid, yeah. Oh, okay. He was selling comics, uh, huge apparently. And, um, and then there's there's a couple of interesting – there's two pages of HodgePod. There's Charles Atlas. Oh, there's a ton of HodgePod. There's oh, Karate. Um, you can do high school through the mail. Here's another American Circle Court, more crap. But um, then the most important ad, direct currents. Direct currents featuring Shade the Changing Man. No, I'm kidding. Firestorm. Yeah. 
Yeah. He never appeared in ads. I mean, this is this is Firestorm in the, you know, from the first five issues, the one, the implosion one that got killed. Yes, yes. So that's pretty impressive that he made it made into an ad. Yeah, But, you know, it is sort of knocked down a peg that he is next to Shade the Changing Man back then. But that's mm-hmm. okay. He's between Shade the Changing Man and Sergeant Rock, who, yeah. Between a rock uh, and a hard place. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Um, we have more, more, uh, more getting to shapes. Really, they were really cornering the market on these comic fans. Don't <laughs> the Olympic Sales Club? Um, on the back, the I love the back cover ad because there's you know there's three or four ads in here where you can sell something to make more money mm-hmm. to buy more comics, and this is the one where you would sell seeds. Yep, and you could earn. Like a skateboard and a guitar and a transistor radio, but we have like across the top, um, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine kids with testimonials. Yep. Uh, the company is fair, honest, and people trust their reputation. American seeds are everything there, there, <laughs> and there is misused. It's the wrong there. Advertised. Oh, no, they are everything there at there. They're advertised to be no. It's not a, not the incorrect there. It's this. There's no hyphen on advertised because they break it up. Philip Net hash. I want to do like a where are they now? Oh jeez. Now I remember this ad very clearly, uh, especially the testimonials. Um, I must have had some comic that had this on the back, or at least a few different comics that had this on the back. I mean, I would I would have had some comics back then, yeah. not as a collector, but just stuff that I got and. I was that kid that would stare at these ads for hours. Well, maybe not hours, but and stare at them and be like, okay, you know what? Transistor radio, that's probably the best one here. Or the tape recorder, one or the other. And that's that's what I would go for, you know? If I were to do that, and I would I would think about these things. And it's just I really got into and studied these little details that nowadays we we scoff at. <coughs> It was a thing to kids. I mean, you you get a quarter for an allowance. You know, I sound, oh my, yeah. I sound like those old men. You can get a candy bar and a soda for a nickel. But you know, <coughs> we used to sit there and think about ways we could make money. And this was, you know, as legitimate as anything else. <laughs> well, and um, I, I don't know if they had these fundraisers at your school, but they would – they would have some guy come in from the company that did the fundraisers and he'd – you'd sell like magazine subscriptions and like here's all the crap you can get in the same way. And <laughs> they like, do that got, with my kids nowadays. Yeah, they got the catalog and it's like, oh, if I sell $200 worth of magazine subscriptions, I can get like a stopwatch or something. Yep. And, and I, I, I remember like – you know, and – my parents would usually buy one or two and they would, or they would use it to renew subscriptions they already had, mm-hmm. like to TV Guide or whatever. Right. And inevitably, at least one time, something would get messed up at the order. But, but yeah, it was just like all the, the stuff, and the stuff fell apart. Sure. So quickly. Cheap. Manufacturing, sheet yep. manufacturing. It's still that same way. My daughter does one now where we we don't even, as the parents when we get money we don't even get anything. We we just pay per lap that she supposedly goes around this track. Oh yeah, yeah. I used to and do then too. the stuff that comes home is like complete crap. But it's you know it's her. She got a prize because she you know attained some level. 
Yeah. And so she gets these little prizes that, she, and she's excited about them though. I mean, she said like I, you know, like like daughter, like father. She sits there looking over the flyer or the online page, going, "Okay, if I can raise twenty more dollars, I'll get this thing." And she'll watch the video and she'll be ready for it and yeah, want Brett, it. And Brett did jump rope for heart. Yep. At school, oh. and they gave, they were giving away. They, he got a bunch of prizes because we had you know raised whatever money. But he also got these like little plastic rubber plastic dogs or something. He's got like four of them because he hit certain levels, and it's it's just like it's amazing some of the things that are still in use today. Yep. Um, and you know we it's something I never did as a yearbook advisor because I'm like I have to sell the book. I don't feel like doing a freaking fundraiser. So, uh, but yeah, we used to get the catalogs for those at work, and there's some of them are just ridiculous. The amount of money you spend to join in to raise money is like, mm. and like you have to clear a certain amount for you to feel that this was worth it. And it's if you're, if it's a fundraiser, if it's a charity thing, you don't have to do as much. Okay. Cause that's, that's a totally different, right. You know, thing that's, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm straight donating money for charity or like walkathon. We did a lot of walkathons back in, in high school and stuff like that. But, uh, but yeah, so it was really, really interesting. Um, Interestingly enough, I count eight different prizes here that are can all be done with your smartphone now. <laughs> nice, very nice. They're putting they're putting the, the the American seeds people out completely out of business. They probably are completely <laughs> out of business. That's that was Bill Gates' objective. He probably you know couldn't sell the damn seeds growing <laughs> up, and he said, "I'm putting these pastors out of business." Lancaster, Pennsylvania which um, is more known for its Amish population than anything. But a friend of mine who, who at least when I knew her in college in the 90s, said that that was actually a hub for drug trafficking. Oh, my gosh. At one point. Because of its location central to a, a lot of different cities in on the East Coast. So maybe that's what they were using to traffic the drugs. Wow. Okay. You know, like in that in that in that Wolfman Perez runaways issues where they're hiring all the kids to do the drug running for them. You know, when you covered those PSAs, like I know you were like laughing about those things, but like for me, I was like, uh huh, yeah. Why is that funny? That was my childhood. I grew up that way. Nancy Reagan it did, was, in fact, brainwash me. It was mine too. May she rest in peace. I uh, I totally bought into all of that. I still rem- <laughs> you know, the one you didn't mention, unless I missed it. I still re- remember very fondly the um, the one about the, the Marvel one about smoking, which had what Storm and um, Spider Man, and I think Luke Cage. If I remember right. I I never saw that. The only <gasps> Marvel PSA comic I ever had a copy of was Captain America Goes to War Against Drugs. Right. I remember you talked about that one. Yeah. Yeah. I had that one. I had uh, there was a Power Pack one. I remember. There was, was oh, one. was was that about child abuse? I think it was or sexual child abuse, abuse? Or chi- it was either child abuse or child molestation. Station. Yeah. I, I my fun. friend yeah. had that one. I remember that one. Yeah. And then there was one with cloak and da- cloak and dagger. Had one as well, and you know, it might have been Cloak and Dagger and Power Pack together. Either way, this has nothing to do with Showcase. No, no, no. no. Um, so here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna take a quick ad and ad break, and then we're gonna come back just to talk a little bit more about just finding our joy 
in some superhero comics, things that we can rec- maybe recommend or whatever, and uh, then we'll close it up. So we'll be right back. Justice League International, Blahaha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter. Batman. Doctor Fate. Black Canary. Fire. Ice. Maxwell Lord. Oberon. Captain Marvel. Rocket Red. Captain Adam. Mr. Miracle. Guy Gardner. Booster Gold. Blue Beetle. Nort! And many, many more. Justice League International. Blahaha Podcast. Coming March 2016 as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it? Okay, and we're back. So just to kind of close it all out, because this is a series that has been going on for about a year and a half. And I covered everything, and I, I deliberately saved superheroes for last because it's the main genre, and I wanted to showcase all of these different things. And we are on the cusp of, as of this recording, it was just announced all of this DC Rebirth stuff, mm-hmm. which some of it looks really good. Some of it, eh. Um, yeah. I, I may pick up a couple of books, but I still feel a little burned on convergence and divergence and whatever the heck that was supposed to do. Um, so, you know, I, I'll, I'll be picking up wonder woman again. I, I may give Superwoman a shot. Um, and maybe one of the Superman titles cause there's, but, but I don't know. I mean, what, if somebody has been listening to this and they don't, they don't buy a lot of superhero books where can they go from here for for DC especially? And it doesn't have to be current. I mean, what have you been, uh, you know, I I will I will plug your show and I will heartily recommend the DC Who's Who podcast because it's just so much fun, especially since you guys do us all the favor of posting to the uh, show notes some of the best entries when we don't have all have copies of the of the books but like and some of the worst too yeah some of the worst too <laughs> but you know I'll I'm one who just dives through discount trade bins mm-hmm. and sometimes we'll just dive through back issue bins and pull out what in, what's interesting whether it be DC or Marvel I'm trying desperately to finish my run of Ostrander's uh, Suicide Squad which I may have to wait a couple of years until after this movie comes and goes so that I, so that the prices will come back down to some of the issues that I need. Um, well, they, they got a trade paperback program going now for Suicide Squad. They've solicited up through like volume four, I think already or something like that. Yeah. I have most of what's already in there. I, I, okay. I am missing things from the latter, from like the fifties and like the late forties, fifties into the sixties of that series. So gotcha. I don't okay. think it'll help me yet, but no, I'm keeping my eye out for that. Um, uh, Andy was telling me that he got, he, he was giving you credit for getting him into the firestorms, the early firestorm stuff. Well, they just hit comicsology 
Yeah. And so he decided yeah. to try him, and he, he, it sounds like, based on what he said on Facebook, it sounds like he's having fun. He, he just sounded like he was fun. And, and the funny thing is, is most of my Firestorm issues that I own are the Ostrander stuff, uh, especially the back end of it, the post-invasion elemental era. And I had some issues the Conway early Freer Firestorm Conway run and I pick them up here and there when I can find them or stuff just early Wally West Flash stuff I mean anything that looks halfway interesting to me lately I'm like hey I'll give this a shot because nothing that DC has put out aside from Batgirl has been in my inbox at all I was getting uh, recently Justice League 3000 and, mm-hmm. and then Justice League 3001 which was the follow up to that which was very much a sort of dystopian sci-fi future Justice League, but it was mixed with the the current Justice League characters and mixed with a little bit of the humor from the Justice League International book, the old Bwahaha League, and it was super fun. It's not going to make it past Rebirth, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but altogether you can get the trades and you get a good, you know, 20-odd, 27 issues, I think it is, or something like that all together of them. Such a fun comic. I had no expectation of wanting to read it. I thought, I don't need another Justice League comic, especially one in the future. What is this nonsense? And I gave it a try. And out of DC's monthly output, I I get three comics, and that's one of them. The other is Aquaman, which has been exceptional. Um, Mm -hmm. Or I should say is exceptional again after a dark, dark period of painful few months. Um, And... uh, I didn't. I haven't bought a Superman comic in years. I was a huge Superman fan for many, 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 many years, mm-hmm. and walked away from it. But I am reading the Dan Jurgens book right now, Lois and Clark, which is the the old Superman. It's the pre Flashpoint, so the post Crisis Superman. Him and Lois are married, and they have a child, and they are living in the New Fifty Two universe. So there's actually two Supermen running around the New Fifty Two universe. There's yeah. the Superman we had for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And the in the new one, yeah. And what's got me interested with Rebirth is my Superman, the Lois and Clark Superman, is going to have an active role somewhere in there. They're not telling us what book yet, but I'm guessing it's the one Dan Jurgens is writing, which is Action Comics. I don't know for sure. And that's the book that looked interesting to me yeah. because that was one of my favorite Convergence tie-ins. It was good. Yeah. And the Lois and Clark miniseries is exceptional. I didn't think I was going to get into it, but I love it. So. Yeah. Um. If people are looking for a place to begin, I guess, you know what you're saying, reading superhero comics? It's just in general, or just to have fun, because yeah. it's so hard to find a fun book to just dive into, pull off the shelf of a comic store and dive into. Well, um, let's see. It, I mean, it, with superheroes in the public, public consciousness, you know, like one of my favorite TV shows is The Flash. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. Yeah. So if you want to go into your comic book store and pick up a comic, a trade that's on the shelf right now, that is also super fun. I would recommend it's it's from the New Fifty Two. It's the Flash Volume One. It's called Move Forward, and it's the New Fifty Two version of Flash, Barry Allen. And it's another one of those books I went into not wanting to like, but I loved it by Francis Manipal. Mm-hmm. So good. So there there's one to start you off. You you maybe we'll go we'll bounce back and forth. You go and I'll I'll throw another one out in a minute. I, um, oh, what have I recently picked up? You know, I would go, I would even go back a little further if you're, if you're thinking of what you're seeing, um, on the screen or whatever. Uh, and 
trying to trying to track down stuff that's uh that some of the if if you could find some of those showcases or anything like that um i know that you know if you want batman versus batman superman dawn of justice recently came out as of this recording and i believe i think it's still in print but i believe dark knight over metropolis oh wow which was reprinted a couple of years back is still you can still hunt that down and track that down if you want to see a very good Batman and Superman story. Because uh, my impression of the 50, new 52 was, um, you know, I read Wonder Woman for a while, way more for the art than the story, because Azarella's story dragged. That's not a very lighthearted comic. It's very, very tough. Mm-hmm. Demon Knights was a story, was a book that I loved. That was fun. Oh, and I hated that they canceled it because I really loved that story. It's a, it was a sword and sorcery medieval adventure comic starring um, the the demon Jason Blood. Uh, Vandal Savage, I believe, was the villain. Mm-hmm. Was part of it. Well, he's part of the team for a while. He's too. part of the team for a while. Yeah. Um, Shining Knights. Shining uh, Knights. Madame Xanadu. Madame Xanadu. Yeah. Um, there. This. This sort of. I think it was supposed to be a pre. They were supposed to be sort of the ancestors in a sense of Stormwatch. Could be. I think Could it be. was had. I think it was supposed. There were hints that they were essentially the very first or the inspiration of what would eventually become the Stormwatch, and, uh, <laughs> and which which is like in the context of the DC universe, which is kind of cool. But that was never really played into. It was just hinted around a little bit but it was this great great fun fun thing uh what else have you well suggestion for people the way i read demon knights is a suggestion i I have for everyone which is go visit your public library you would be astounded how many trade paperbacks yeah and that's actually what i wandered in with my kids to the library one day and they had all three volumes of demon knights just sitting there on the shelf Mm -hmm. and i remember professor alan quarterbin had been you know praising those comics, so I checked around the library. So how's that, Professor? I got to read them for free; didn't even cost me a quarter, and it was great. I absolutely loved that book. Yeah. Now, again, speaking of things in the public consciousness, um, Supergirl on everyone's mind right now. She's she's got a new ongoing series coming up, which looks like it's probably going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. Any of the stuff by Sterling Gates and Jamal Eigel, if you find any of those trades, that was definitely very good. Consider them. Yeah. But I would definitely, if, if you want to have some fun. Get pick up Supergirl Cosmic Adventures in the eighth grade. It's it is targeted for younger readers, but it's more all ages. It's designed so everyone can enjoy it, and it's a hoot. My daughter reads it; she's ten. She loves it. I read it with her. I love it. I think it's hysterical. I I'm gonna go down the same road there and and plug a book that I've plugged multiple times and actually used issues from on this very podcast, which is Scooby Doo Team Up where Scooby-Doo and the Scooby gang team up with various heroes throughout the DC universe. And they have teamed up with uh, Batman and Superman and all sorts of people. Really, really fun, fun book. It's your fault. It is literally your fault. Um, I don't know if I'm using that word properly, but it is accurate to say it is your fault that I have a copy of that trade paperback sitting on my shelf um, because you and I had uh, dinner together. Mm Mm-hmm in your hometown and you talked about that book and on the next city I visited I saw it on the shelf and I picked it up it was so much fun yeah it's good stuff and it's a little more he went from Brett went from the Superman family adventures the one that um, Art Balthazar and Franco did which was also a hoot 
to that and it was just slightly more you know slightly less little kitty and it's really 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 fun to read um i'm trying to think of what else what else what well, else do we throw it? more than likely anyone that's listening to this is either a former comic reader uh, like a lapsed comic fan or a reader of old stuff. So the suggestions we've had so far are pretty good because they're all fairly, you know, recent type suggestions that they may have missed. So that's been good. I, I have a million suggestions, but they're all going to be old school. That if anyone who's listening to you and I rattle on, middle-aged guys, if I tell them Crisis, they're going to go, no crap, I read that. You know, so there's – just find – you know, think of a character you love. Pick up a trade and give it a try. Yeah, you know? yeah. you'd be surprised. You'll find there's there's a lot of good. Now there's a lot of bad comics out there too. Mm-hmm. Not gonna lie, but there's a lot of good comics out there. And uh, again, I really strongly suggest the library as yes your, as your first place because what's it gonna cost you? You check it out. It doesn't cost you anything. And if you don't like it, you stop reading it. That that's um, the library is the reason I do not own a copy of any of Neil Gaiman's Sandman because I never have to, because they have all of them. And anytime I want to do a reread, I just have to start putting them on hold. There you go. <laughs> um, I would recommend also going on. If you have a comiXology account going on there, taking a look at what's on sale every once in a while at 99 cents, especially as new seasons of TV shows come around and everything, because they have been, they will go deep into their archives, and you can just pick out any char- a lot of the characters you want, and sometimes randomly for for a dollar ninety nine or ninety nine cents, you can you can read an old issue of Superman or Batman or Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, etc. Some of which go all the way back to the '30s, and many of which are, are have more contemporary things. So you can you can sample your superheroes from any era. As well, and I, that's one of the things I love about uh, about digital comics is the availability of a lot of different different things as well. Yeah, and and on the other side of the pond, you know, Marvel, get Marvel Unlimited. You won't be sorry. And you just mentioned Comicsology. Sign up for their newsletter because then you'll get an email every week telling mm-hmm. you what's on sale, and yeah. there is always something worthwhile on sale. Yeah. I, I've been consistently impressed. Uh, I, I bought some Justice League trade paperbacks. Again, comics I already own. But I was willing to. I wanted to buy them again, so I don't have to go searching for the issues. Yes. So that'll do it. Um, thank you for coming on. This has been a, a real, real pleasure, and this was a great way to end this series. Um, can you, before you go, please let them know where everybody know where they can find you? Well, I don't know, Tom. I'm I'm so shy. I'm I'm not sure that I I want to. Oh, wait a minute. I'm just kidding. Yes, you can find pretty much everything I do over at the Fire and Water Podcast Network, which is at firewaterpodcast.com. We've got a ton of shows with me and my partners. Um, personally, I appear on the on the Aquaman and Firestorm podcast. I appear on the Who's Who podcast. I'd be here on the Justice League International Bwahaha podcast. And once in, once in a blue moon, we'll crank out an episode of the Hero Points podcast, which focuses on the DC uh, Mayfair role-playing <coughs> game. And, uh, and, and going beyond that, we've got shows on the on DC's Invasion. We've got Secret Origins. We've got Power Records, which everyone loves the Power Records. And uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting a million things. Forgive me. Romance Comics. There you go. Romance. We have a Romance Comics podcast. You do. Yeah. You do. Ciscoid. And we've got ones on Bob Dylan. We've got. Oh, I I, I'm, I apologize to my team. Oh, Supermates, uh, the husband and wife geek cast. And uh, I've lost track because we've got way too many. But yeah. it is a 
it's a lot of fun for us. We have a great time, and we hope that you guys enjoy the show. So, you can also find me uh, as Firestorm Fan. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter under those handles, and I'm also on FirestormFan.com, which is a site dedicated to the Nuclear Man. And as because this is the last episode of this miniseries, I need to also just thank one more time Stella. No. <laughs> Michael Bailey, Luke Jack, no! <laughs> Luke Jackanetti, Andy okay. Leyland. Yes. Uh, and of course, Brett um, for coming on uh, to help with other episodes of the series. This has been a lot of fun. It lasted beyond my intended period of a year, but it was well worth it. Um, so please, audience, check out the Fire and Water Network for some great comics podcasting. Check out other shows on the Two True Freaks Network, uh, Back to the Bins, Hey Kids Comics. Talk about a plethora of great shows. Oh, Two yeah. True Freaks is just... There's so many, and they're so good. Yeah, fantastic it, collection of shows. Yeah, it's all it's all a great nostalgia trip, and I am always here at Pop Culture Affidavit. I'm also doing in country. Check out the show notes for scans, other extras I might have regarding this. And uh, as always, thank you very much for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to 80 Years of DC Comics, a podcast miniseries presented by Pop Culture Affidavit and Two True Freaks. All comics talked about in this episode are copyright DC Comics, and since this podcast is intended for entertainment purposes and no money is made, no infringement is intended. You can find show notes and supplemental information on this episode at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Interested in leaving feedback? You can email me at popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com or go to the Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash popcultureaffidavit. Thanks for listening to the history of DC Comics.